0: Syllabus Journal Entry. This is the 17th entry. We have to discuss the North American Union. It's coming.
1: Thank you for coming back.
0: So here we go now in this new episode here of Syllabus Journal Entry. And we just want to take a little bit of time to get our bearings oriented here and to get the particular topic that's in the background of all of our politics here in america and, and really when it comes to the the world economic forum and the collapse of the federal reserve the this global reserve currency when it comes down to this massive illegal immigration that's being forced and imposed in the southern border and probably in, in the northern border also probably I in mean every border the borders of florida are overwhelmed with people coming in on weird rafts and stuff. And I understand the people's urge to escape the, the third world tyranny and communist conditions of the, these other places and to get here and to have a chance at freedom. So it's not that uh, we condemn people for desperately trying to get themselves and their families here. It's a rational move. It's an understandable move. It's probably a move that we would all make if we had to be in that similar position. The, the situation is, is that the devastating program of poverty and communism and destitution uh, that is being promulgated throughout the world and really being made endemic and universal by the work of the World Economic Forum, which you would think that the World Economic Forum would exist to, to give us a chance to all have take part in the world economy and to, to grow in our personal wealth. But of course, that's not what the World Economic Forum does. It's there to exacerbate the the huge chasm between the extremely rich elite folks, The their monolithic avarice and greed uh, sucking the lifeblood out of the rest of the, the, the millions and the billions of, of the population of earth that they're preparing to liquidate them and, and make big moves here because it's been a long time coming but the destruction of america's popular democratic institutions a popular government here a representative government a, a self-government Something that's been on uh, on the chopping block for a long time. It's been slated for destruction. It reminds me of how they took down the the buildings on 9 11, with the the background modus operandi being you know shelved over to to the Muslims. So the Muslim extremists, the Obamas of the world, were to be blamed. It's just a typical kind of move of the Crusaders as they begin their their crusade, their 11th or 12th or 15th crusade. Whoever knows how many crusades there are, but it's always been a consistent conflict with Islam over the Holy Land and uh, using that as an excuse to go to war. that's what happened with the, the skull and bones people up there with the Bush, Bushies. So in order to kind of see where we're going here, they want to demolish popular government and Republican institutions and freedoms and the liberties of conscience and so on that were developed here in the West. In, in our fight for American independence. And we turned away from uh, the, the, our liege lords and the divine right of kings that supposedly is the doctrine conceived of by Popery and, and by Rome to use religious apparatus to force all men to their knees and to submit to the kings and princes and the nobility of the world and turn everyone else into subjects and serfs and kulaks. So when we fought for our freedom here in America, we were, we were fighting against the rapine and the butchery of Hessian troops that were coming into our homes here, and the, the colonists, the American colonists, who, who, you know, we relate to them. We relate to the colonists being abused by the British and by the Hessians, and we relate to that today because we have the FBI doing the same thing, being built up to be some kind of crazy Gestapo organization, and you got a bunch of sick pigs in there that'll just follow any orders, and they'll... They'll arrest anyone that they're told to arrest. So that, that's why they're out of control. They have no longer the ability to think about what they're doing as, as within the, the, the legal binds or legal constraints of the constitutional framework. They're just way outside of that. Um, on one part, like we, as we said before, the executive branch is completely out of control, operating on emergency war powers, which are not constitutional, and there is no emergency war. And if there was a war, we could have our Congress give the permission and sanction the ability to go to war. But, of course, we don't need the Congress anymore to raise our massive trillion-dollar debt limit, and we don't need the Congress anymore to go to war. We we just don't need the Congress anymore at all. We just need our our dictatorship of the unitary executive there in the executive branch. Just sign, sign laws, sign papers, sign proclamations, and then all the generals salute all the gay rights, transgender generals up there in the Pentagon. They all salute with their heels on, and they click down the hall, and they go to enforce this new... Uh, program of transgender indoctrination. I, I really don't know what they do up there all day, but they, they don't protect our border and they don't protect against our enemies. Uh, they're just there to facilitate weapons to Ukraine to try to get us you know, into this third world war scenario and to get all the different militaries there in China and Russia it, uh, you know, up to DEFCON 3 or whatever so that we can have this huge military uh, conflagration that we're seeing being built up here. And it really goes back to, to London. I mean, we, you can see that. So we have the Royal Society, and we have the the Royal Institutes for Science and Technology. And, you, you know, it's, it's hard to really find a lot of the leads there. But if you go back and look, you can see that there's connectivity between the experiments that were happening um, in, in the CCP in, the, in China and Wuhan. And there was a connection with the Imperial College in London. So you, you, I can even find an article here, right here. Um, governments around the world. This is in chemistryworld.com. Governments around the world led by the U.S. are moving to restrict and control academic collaborations with China. The latest in the clampdown on links with China is the closure of two major research centers involving the Imperial College in London and Chinese companies linked to the nation's defense industry after the U.K. denied permission for their work to continue. So this is in 2022. It's only a couple years later that they finally decided they're going to shut down these These uh, very embarrassing connections between the the CCP and the Chinese communists and London uh, in this this research. And I'll continue with a little bit of the article here. The move follows warnings from the FBI and the MI5 in July that China was involved in economic espionage and presented the biggest ever long-term threat to economic and national security. How times have changed. Back in 2012, Chinese investment in UK universities was encouraged and welcomed. Now, academic partnerships, particularly those involved in dual-use technologies, which have civilian uses but also potential military applications, have fallen from favor. I carry on here. Over the last few years, the accelerated and accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic the UK and the EU and the US have increasingly framed cooperation with China on science and technology with the language of national security and geopolitical competition, comments Lucas Fiola. China Foresight Project Coordinator at the London School of Economics. As China is increasingly seen as the competitor in Washington and Western European capitals, many have argued for greater oversight and transparency in research partnerships with China, not least to curtail involvement with state-owned capital and Chinese institutions linked to Chinese military. You think? I mean, you know, it's it's now, this article is now coming out in September of 2022, just a few months ago, and they're finally coming to their senses as they realize that there's a problem there. However, Fiola points out to a recent study by research organization RAND that shows that UK, that's United Kingdom, academics largely speak in positive terms about their Chinese partnerships. This suggests science communities are resisting the pressure to decouple from China to a certain degree. Nevertheless, while engagement with China may vary across different disciplines, examples such as the Imperial Institute's collaboration with Avic demonstrate that research organizations are adjusting Rand's report that surveyed more than 80 researchers notes that UK and Chinese research ecosystems have become increasingly integrated since the 2000s, particularly in technology-based disciplines such as synthetic biology, advanced materials, energy, and engineering. However, while it notes that transfer of dual-use technologies to Chinese military has not dominated the media, only a minority of those surveyed experienced this issue. Like, whatever. So, just finish it up here, the... The report finds clear indications of a decline in UK-Chinese research collaboration starting in 2019. I can't imagine why. And describes the challenges UK academics face when conducting research in China. So, I mean, this is just some article I just whipped out as we were just sitting here. So if you go more deeply into this particular research, you'll find that the connection between the Royal Institute of Science and Technology and the Royal Society is very deep. And it's it's something that has been constant. So that you can see that China was left to its own sovereignty back in the 1990s. Hong Kong, right? The Hong Kong, the second convention of Peking, right? Gives uh, England, uh, the the British Empire at the time, total control over the region. And they gave that control back, uh, autonomy back to China. But it, they gave it into the hands of the Chinese Communist Party, the rabid and sickening mass murderers and butchers, right? So that, that follows Mao's. Uh, Mao Zedong. Of course, Mao Zedong was a, a Yali in China, a Yali, right? He, he was a Yale in China guy. So he was a, a student of Yale and he was obviously affected by these MI6 skull and bones policies that would bring about this horrible outbreak of rabid and bloodthirsty communism that we see in China. And so, of course, the British mandate will leave China in the hands of of these mass murderers and then of course you're going to go through the 1990s and the 2000s and just a couple decades later their academic research their their lab lab work on dual use technologies the Avic Center a collaboration between Imperial and aviation industries and the the China corporations all right so you can see the the Beijing Institute of aeronautical materials I mean on and on and on uh, involving the Imperial Institutes uh, you know Focused on materials and character, the processing of materials and modeling of different materials for military use. So you can see that England, the British, have been central in this process of turning Chinese massive territory over to the hands of British skull and bones controlled CCP agents. Who are so bloodthirsty and so violent now. And they're leading this technological advance towards COVID virus passports, all these these digital passports. And of course, all these problems arising from this move towards technocracy arising out of China with the help of the UK, with the help of the old British Empire. And so we have to recognize that 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 connection there is salient and it's meaningful because eventually, obviously, the missiles and the weaponry that are being developed and fast-tracked in China are going to be aimed at the United States. And you can see that the, the threats of the CCP are not aimed at the UK, because the UK and the CCP are all buddy buddies up at the World Economic Forum. Whenever the World Economic Forum gets together, you can see Xi Jinping over there, and you can see the the British, the, the UK is actively a part of the World Economic Forum. So they're really their focus is is bringing down popular government and democracy in the West. And that's not something that the Britain has a problem with because they're a monarchy, and because their entire system of parliament is just really. A demonstration and a show without really any serious power that we can see. So we can see that the, the shell of the imperial power of the of the British crown there is still in place. And we can see that they are working with our enemies ultimately to use the World Health Organization as a as a chase to affect the policies around the rest of the world. And of course Trump did not help us with that. Trump was part of the process that basically buckled and allowed for these these disgusting viruses to be fast tracked, and all this pressure from the Royal Society and the, the Royal Institutes for Science and Technology were there to press our CDC and our you know National Institutes of Health into this universal policy that was really being spearheaded by China. So these these are the problems that we're facing as a country, and as a people, and as a people who are being rolled up on all sides as we're being replaced by uh, foreign nationals. Uh, from all over the world are just pouring over the borders or just desperately trying to take part in this fanatical stampede of our border and, and, and damn the torpedoes and damn the consequences and, and damn the American people if they suffer from, from everyone just piling in and damn the American democracy if it can't handle all these illegitimate And undocumented people who are just milling about the countryside now who have no no accountability, no responsibility for their actions. When they run people over in drunk driving incidences or when they rob and murder people, rape little children, which has just been an outrageous outbreak of these men coming over here and somehow getting close to children and, and, and hurting these kids. So this is something that the American people, just like what happened in 1776 when the Hessians were abusing the American people, the American colonists, and the Redcoats were here to dissolve the liberties and the personal freedoms of the Americans, and no, nothing has changed. This is the same dynamic. It's the same crowns, crowned heads. It's the same papal holy see. This this uh, system of religious murder and tyranny that we see uh, pretending to be Christianity. It's the same system of imperialism that we see coming out of Germany. That's where the Hessian troops came from. They came from the the Elector of Hesse, Hesse cassell right? That's where the Hessians came from. Well, they, the 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 hess estate there in Germany is still, uh, still a noble family, and they still belong to the World Economic Forum, and they still sound like Klaus Schwab, and they get up there and talk about the future, if you like the future. Like, these are, this is the same forces. that are pressed up against American democracy and American liberty and American constitutional republic, but today the patriots of America are whining, transgendered, castrated weaklings who can no longer fight for their own freedom and they we don't have the ability to run back to the king and get on our knees and submit to the king we don't have the ability to run back to the pope and beg for for mercy right this is just the total decline the total downfall of our society and they're going to bring in in the ashes of this just it's not going to just be destroyed and left to ruin they're going to bring in something that will be very effective for all these people running over the border they're going to bring in the north american union this was effectively done. It was, the legislation for this was accomplished under Trump with the, the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement, the USTR, which took place in 2020. Under Trump was the final capstone in building the backdrop for this, this Free Trade Commission. The USMCA was the final capstone that is going to be necessary before we arrive at the North American Union. All, all that's left now is to, to tank our currency, overrun our borders with millions and millions more individuals from South America or from around the world to totally cut off the possibility of recovery of the American people who are here. Remember, if we're here in America and we have social security numbers, we're accountable for that debt. If we don't have any social security numbers and we're we're, we're Juan Lopez from Ecuador or something and and we don't have a social security number, then we're not responsible for the Federal Reserve debt. So when the IRS comes running... To to shake out your pockets and rob all your your stuff and take back all the belongings that that you owe for this debt, they're not going go to go to Juan Lopez because he's uh, he's not on the block, he's not on the chopping block for this federal reserve debt. So keep that in mind. You are the American people, and you are systematically with your with your social security numbers, you're locked in to for some two hundred thousand dollars per person for this trillion dollar debt. Maybe even more. Maybe it's even more than that now. Maybe you owe $300,000. At some point, it's going to be like $1,000 an hour that you're going to owe because the the debt is getting to be, you know, 10s and 20s and 50 trillion. It's becoming just completely unimaginable and it's out of control. It's unrecoverable. And so when that unrecoverable debt needs to be collected, there's only one biological property, and that's you. Your, Your biological property, your personal physical biological property is the collateral for this debt. That's so why you have a social security number. That's why you, you were given a birth certificate. It's so that you could be enumerated, cataloged, the hypothecation of the American people as financial instruments for collateral. So that's that's what you're seeing here. I know that it's hard to, to wrap your mind around, but you need to understand that, that the banking cartels who have put us under all this paper debt don't really want the paper payments back. Really what they want is the collateral. They want what has is to be taken once the default... Take, and the, the bank foreclosure and the liquidation takes place, when it comes time to to open the clearinghouse and to clear out all the those who owe the debt and to get whatever's left, it'll just be you and your children. So this is an important discussion we have to get into. We have to leave behind these notions of, of terror and, and scary conspiracy theories. And let's start to look at the, the terrible truth of what's about to happen to the American people. So when they come to, to roll you up and they come to do the mass roundups, and they do it in, in the name of whatever the legislation is going to be, whatever the, the policing powers, the war powers, the emergency virus powers, the COVID powers, or whatever, whatever it turns out to be that gives them this authority that they're going to use to round you up. You're going to have no recourse because you have been completely defaulted and completely bankrupted and you have no longer have any standing by which you can go to court and, and find uh, any kind of recourse by which you can ultimately change this outcome. So we have to pay back this massive national debt, which you can see that Pelosi was up there, all of them, they're all up there like foaming at the mouth, frantically working to make sure they pump enough debt into this economy that it can't possibly be recovered. No one's going to be able to come up with the, the trillion dollars of Federal Reserve notes to pay them back. And so what happens next is a massive national default which the banking powers can come in because of all the documents we've signed, because we've signed all these birth certificates, all these social security numbers, we've handed them out to all the people, and then we borrowed all this money against ourselves, against the full faith and credit of the American people, right? Well, that faith and credit is is us, and we have to pay that money back. So when we don't have the ability to do that, then we ourselves are brought back into slavery, into bankruptcy, into debt prison, okay? That's where this is all leading to. I know you guys can't imagine how you think that there's some kind of constitutional protection out there that will save us. Well, go look at the January 6th protesters. Go look and see if they have any more constitutional protections in Washington, D.C. Now, the habeas corpus is gone. The rights about trials and appearing in court and, and speedy trials, those are all gone. Constitutional protections are gone. And so we're just left, left with this admiralty law, these admiralty courts. But all all admiralty court does is decide who gets the booty, who gets all the the treasure that's been taking, taken on the high, high seas, right? So we're not on the seas, but we're on the land, but the, the law of the seas is, is overtaken. The admiralty law is overtaken, the law of the land, and we become enslaved by these economic tactics. So it's, it's time for you to wake up to that. So stop looking around for the police to serve you. Stop looking around for the military to fight your battle. Stop looking around for the government to protect your rights. Stop looking around for anyone to save you because these people up in Washington, D.C. have borrowed all this trillions of dollars from foreign banks in, in your name, and they have you signed up as the personal collateral and the, and the, the personal respondent that has to deal with this debt. That's you and me. So that's a complicated conversation we'll get into. But right now, you need to recognize what they're—they're—they're they're, they're so confident in their destruction of the American people and the Constitution and this republic that they're building up the next new world order governing faction. So this regional system of authority that they're going to establish in the ruins of America's collapse. So the America's collapse will lead us to the North American Union. And so, in order to introduce this topic more. Clearly, we have a fascinating discussion here. We have to go back to when Lou Dobbs was at CNN 16 years ago, and this issue. Of course, if we go back 16 years ago and we look at what was going on at the time, it was a totally and completely different world. Other other places in the world might not have been so completely transformed in 16 years, like America. But in America, we find that 16 years ago, the world was unrecognizable. But the the topic and the discussion here are still relevant and still necessary. Let's listen to this interesting interview here with Lou Dobbs. Coming
2: up next, the Senate's immigration compromise, of language that recognizes a, a partnership that doesn't exist. Uh, but will advance that partnership among the United States, Canada, and Mexico. I'll be talking to Robert Pastor, a proponent of what he calls a North American community. He doesn't like me calling it a North American Union. Uh, he's accused me of fear-mongering. I'm scared. We'll clear the air. Stay with us. In the hundreds of pages of legislation in the Senate's Grand Compromise, one section addresses Mexico's domestic policy calling for strengthening economic and social standards in Mexico with the help of the U.S. government and, of course, taxpayers as a way to curtail illegal immigration. Christine Romans reports.
3: It's called Section 413, proposed American law dealing exclusively with the domestic policy of Mexico. The theory that helping Mexico will reduce illegal immigration. Section 413 promises U.S. help in getting financial services to Mexico's poor and underserved populations, expanding efforts to reduce the transaction costs of remittance flows, helping the Mexican government to strengthen education and job training, and increasing health care access for the poor in Mexico. And it encourages Mexico to create incentives for Mexicans to return home. Critics say this should already be the job of the Mexican government.
4: They spend frightfully small amounts on health care, on education, on job training. And now I think they want to pull the wool over the Americans' eyes and have American taxpayers foot the bill for responsibilities that the Mexican elite should be assuming.
3: Furthermore, Section 413 asked the U.S. Congress. Congress to ramp up the six-year-old bilateral Partnership for Prosperity and highlights the broader North American Security and Prosperity Partnership. Quote, the U.S. and Mexico should accelerate the implementation of the Partnership for Prosperity to help generate economic growth and improve the standard of living in Mexico, which will lead to reduced migration.
5: They're being asked to, to give a rubber stamp to the Security Prosperity Partnership, the Partnership on Prosperity, and the discussions with Mexico and Canada uh, that talk about economic energy, transportation, health services, and insurance integration.
3: Section 413 also calls for a U.S.-Mexican partnership to examine, quote, uncompensated and burdensome health care costs incurred by the United States due to legal and illegal immigration. What this means is a coordinated effort to help Mexico improve prenatal trauma and emergency care in border areas and a partnership between the two countries to find ways to insure temporary workers and return injured workers to Mexico for long term treatment, Lou.
2: The more we look at this, the more idiotic. What in the world are these elitists and what are they thinking about? it's incomprehensible.
3: This particular Section 413 has a lot of different things in there, from health care to the SPP to this to this bilateral agreement that's already six years old between the United States and Mexico to uh, lowering remittance costs so that people in the United States can send money back to Mexico more cheaply, uh, in theory, to invest it in, in have, the Mexican economy.
2: We have, forgive me, Christina, for but we've entered, we, we have truly entered a bizarre place where the President of the United States... President George W. Bush is representing the interests of Mexican citizens in this country, and Congress, our Senate, is attempting to impose a law that is appropriately the purview of the Mexican legislature. Uh, could it get more any any more upside down? I don't even want to think about the possibility. Oh, there's the answer there's so yes.
3: many more pages to go through. That was we've just a, two pages of 380 right we,
2: there. Well, we've got a long a few weeks ahead of us, so there'll be plenty for you to uh, uh, to go through. Christine, thanks. Christine Romans. The Senate's draft legislation also restates the goals of security and prosperity partnership of North America, which would reduce or do away with trade and other border. Cumbersome border restrictions among the United States, Mexico, and Canada. Joining me now is Robert Pastor. He's Vice President of International Affairs at American University, Director of the Center for North American Studies. Robert, good to have you here. It's good to be with you, Lou. All right, let's start with it. What in the world are we trying to do here, we elitists, who want to uh, make it so less cumbersome to uh, traffic commerce uh, among Canada, the United States, Mexico, and uh, move people and goods so so much more efficiently?
5: Well, I think the premise is that uh, if Canada and Mexico develop uh, very well, and they progress. This is in our interests as well. Uh, that's, that's the portion of the bill that you were just right. hearing. Okay, and who, who, is, who
2: is we? I'm a little lost on that. American uh, people haven't voted on it, Congress hasn't voted on it.
5: Uh, it's it's me and you, and it's the American people will benefit from increasing trade, increasing investment, uh, yeah. and Mexicans and Canadians will benefit as well. And in fact, the Congress did pass, of course, the North American Free Trade Agreement, and this is before the Congress now, uh, to debate and to see whether they'll pass
2: that as well. Well, let's uh, let's hope, Robert, that uh, uh, that you all get a little surprise from this Congress. I'm, I have to tell you, I frankly will be surprised as well. Uh, here's what you wrote uh, uh, I do not propose a North American Union. I propose a North American community. A community composed of three sovereign governments that seek to strengthen bonds of cooperation. Each government retains the power to decide whether and how to cooperate. Uh, how's that uh, different from a North
5: American Union? A North American Union is like the United States. It's a unified, centralized state. Um, neither Mexico, Canada, nor the United States want to dissolve their borders to create one single
2: state. Well, if they want if, let me ask you this if, if, if uh, in point of fact uh, you're creating a perimeter of security uh, and you are basically uh, 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 crossing those borders at will for example the pilot project on Mexican trucking uh, I mean what is I, I just don't quite see the difference between that and uh, uh, a North American Union as you would have it
5: well, the difference between a North American Union and a North American community is that there would be one government uh, in one place in all three countries instead of three separate governments.
2: But if you're ignoring and diminishing the sovereignty of three governments, how is that different than having one government?
5: Well, you're not in diminishing the sovereignty of any of the three governments any more than uh, than when Canada decided to open up its oil and energy foreign investment. There were some people who accused it of diminishing their sovereignty. In fact, they've become now one of the great energy exporters in the world. So you're not diminishing sovereignty, you're enhancing the autonomy, enhancing the welfare of all three peoples by freer trade.
2: Well, don't you think there should be a straightforward vote on this? Because as uh, technocrats, uh, business uh, executives and academics and other elites meet in private and often if not always, without the uh, transparency of the media being there, the press, uh, don't you think it would be just a lot more straightforward for you all to put forward the agenda? Let Congress debate it, uh, let uh, the legislature in Canada and Mexico do so as well, rather than stay under the uh, imprimatur of NAFTA, which is uh, a disaster in so many respects in Mexico and uh, in the United States.
5: Well, first of all, I don't agree that NAFTA was a disaster, but I do believe that each of the proposals we've talked about do need to be debated. They do need to be uh, uh, debated in the Congresses, and, and they won't be approved unless... Uh, all three countries
2: approve them. And with the United States suffering uh, immense trade uh, deficits with both Canada uh, and Mexico, more than 120, mm-hmm. approaching 125 billion a year, uh, what's driving us to do this?
5: Well, I think. We've seen over the last 13 years since NAFTA came into effect, trade
2: has tripled foreign direct Partner, investment. That's just in an interesting question. The fact of that trade is a $125 billion deficit, Robert. What uh, is driving our interest here?
5: Uh, Well, what makes you think that deficit among close uh, neighbors like this is necessarily negative? It means, for example, that we're importing more goods that are cheaper and of a higher quality. Uh, So as consumers, we benefit from a
2: deficit. I know, and we benefit from uh, not having control of our own borders. We benefit from having all of you elites decide what the future is without our elected representatives expressing the will of the American people. And I know you think that's a a much improved uh, uh, and better world. I just don't happen to agree with you. Come back, we'll talk about it another time. Robert Pastor, thanks
1: for being here.
5: Well, it's good to be with a a member of the public and the people, not just an
0: elite like the rest of us, huh? Bless your heart. Up next, Democrats. So there we have this fascinating interview from 2016 with Lou Dobbs. No wonder he got fired at CNN because he was doing real journalism. And he is one of the the male journalists leading America's uh, intelligentsia here. So we would just you know point out that he is you know pushing back against Robert Pasteur, and he is uh, just pointing out to him that we're moving towards a regional government, just like what was planned by the Roundtable Consortium that was developed by Cecil Rhodes and uh, Lord Milner and all those guys. But they decided then that they would have these regional. The, the world government, the global governance, was required to be split into these regions. So you have the African Union and the European Union, and you have, ultimately coming here, the North American Union. And so we're just pointing out here that this process of getting into massive debts and destabilizing the national governments in this particular regional cooperative. So if you have United States of America, Mexico, and Canada, each individually struggling as a nation... And having these massive deficits, it puts us more into the hands of our creditors, right? To whom we owe these massive debts too. So it's a process of just being reduced to a regional collective and a United Nations cooperative and losing our power as citizens here in the United States who have our, our own individually protected rights. And so you can see that this process of tearing down the national sovereignty of America will take apart the states, the jurisdiction of the states will take apart the counties, the jurisdiction of the counties and the sheriffs, and I'll take apart the actual meaning of American citizenship for whatever it's worth. Uh, so I think that we can see that this process of going over to the technocracy of getting uh, COVID-19 digital passports or whatever and using the, this this process will take us to this point of becoming you know, planetary citizens and one world Order advocates, and, and, and the whole process will be political because ultimately it'll be fought in the streets, it'll be fought in, in uh, the burning of cars and the looting of neighborhoods and the shooting um, of, of the citizenry among each other, it just as it becomes a complete anarchic chaotic breakdown as the, the new the new paradigm begins to take hold, and those who are wishing to, to maintain their constitutional republic will be Slowly eviscerated. And you can see the same process taking place with the COVID-19 shots. Apparently a majority of, a vast majority of Americans took that, leaving only like 60, 50 or 60 million people left, maybe less, who just refused to take it. And so you have this mass outcry of the, the Bolsheviks, which Bolsheviks, uh, if you, you know in Russian, it just means the majority So Bolshevism is just the, the overwhelming crushing weight of the majority against everyone else. So the new American, the neo-Bolsheviks here in America, like the ones who all took the shot and insisted everyone else take it, and you have Sean Penn running around now saying that everyone should be rounded up and arrested, he doesn't, hasn't taken the shot, so on and so forth. So the people are still stuck in that, that, that shot thing. I live here in Florida, and we kind of moved on from that a couple of years ago. We just kind of progressed emotionally and, and, and in temporal time-space, continuum. We progressed in time forward. We weren't stuck and frozen in the past in 2020. With the whole mask, COVID-19 shot, uh, controversy, controversy, right? (laughs) So we are going to resist that. I don't know what will happen with Florida or with America or with the, the holdouts, the outliers who resist. But we're going to resist and we're going to protest. We're going to be Protestant. We're not going to take it. And if you kill us, we'll die. And then we'll all work it out later in heaven. We'll, you know, we'll get to see who goes and burns in the pit, and we'll get to see who was right and who who stood up for good courage and good manly honor, and in the defense and protection of his family to the greatest extent that he could. Right? That's what men will do. They'll they're good men. They'll stand up and defend their family, and they'll go to heaven. And so all these new world order pigs, you can see they're trying to bring us into some kind of like catastrophic fever dream of Hitler, right? Some kind of like world Nazi state where they just come and they they decide when you're going to take shots and when you're not going to, and Sean Penn will tell you because he knows better, right? He's so smart. And so you have uh, this inability of the American people to snap out of the kind of pathology here, this mass formation psychosis, I guess it doesn't just go away. And um, I think that people have been subsumed into this the radicalism of this new World Economic Forum, technocracy, this new Antifa revolution that's taking over that ultimately will just cause the people to strip away the guns from the other people, right? So you don't need like a paramilitary force or a SWAT team to come down. You just you need the, the psychos who have been radicalized in one side of the neighborhood to go after the people who are trying to defend themselves in the other side of the neighborhood. And from county to county and city to city, uh, you saw that marching around happening in 2020 when they then Soros and then paid BLM and paid Antifa to march all around and burn shit and beat people up in front of their businesses and set stuff on fire and have people shot. You know, the American people were totally stunned and they were pretty much wounded by that. And when they went to, you know, to tell the, the government all about it and uh, petition for the grievances for the fact that the FBI is staging these events rather than shutting them down. The FBI is putting on these, you know, using these uh, activists and these psychopaths out there with BLM and Antifa as somehow some kind of new moral righteous cause, right? Of course, I'm sure that BLM, uh, learning how your white privilege harms other people, has to go all through the FBI and the Pentagon, right? So BLM and Antifa ideals are all through the White House, and they're all through the government, and Nancy Pelosi's with them, and if you try to discuss... The Antifa radicals, right? They're, they're just really Obama sycophants. If you try to go discuss them with the people in the government, they'll just pretend like you're delusional. Like there's no Antifa, and, you know. So that's what we're dealing with. When, when the people go to redress these grievances in Washington D.C., they get hit with a false flag sedition movement, like like, a, like as if some kind of insurrection broke out, and the 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 capital city police pigs, right, run out with their little flash cannons and shoot the people and beat the people up. And then when the people start to react, then we frame, you know, Trump. I mean, and, and Trump isn't, isn't completely clean of all this. I don't, I don't, I mean, I, we, who who are we supposed to go to? They stand this guy up as the Republican red hat wearing straw man, uh, you know, right. A, a man billionaire, an, an old classic playboy guy who was friends with You're right. I, I don't know this man. I mean, I don't know him. I don't know, Trump, by, by his family, they all seem really like they're sweet people. But, dude, he was friends with Epstein as well. And so, I mean, these are all this whole thing is really quite sickening because ultimately, what did Trump do? He, he threw a little bit of gas on the fire of the economy. He, he cut some regulations. He, he made a good showing of what any of these presidents could have done any time, including any of the Bushes at any time. They're all smart enough people that they could have done this. Right, And then Bush, you know, he or, and Trump, he goes in there and ultimately he gets hit with, just like, you know, Bush was going along normal and he gets hit with 9-11. Well, Trump's going along like a good Republican president and he gets hit with COVID-19. What's he supposed to do? Well, I don't know what he's supposed to do. He's not like a, a virologist. He's not like a brain scientist. He's not, you know, he, he's just a guy. But what he should have done is deal with the intrigue and, and the globalist Back channels that were happening between the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, the Royal Institute of Science, right, the the Royal Society in London, and all coming down his neck with Anthony Fauci. Here comes Anthony Fauci, right, CDC, and and who in the world of all of us and Trump have the ability to really like have some kind of technical framework? by which we could push back against this massive conspiracy, which was what it was. So we go back and look at event 201. We go back and look at the dark winter preparation of the government. They prepared and wargamed all this out. For what would happen if there was like some kind of virus outrage, an outbreak of a virus contagion or pathogen they couldn't control. And so this just became an active simulation. a simulacrum guys, let's just face it. I mean, this whole scenario was completely played out. And it was something that was coming down from the, the power apparatus, the global power apparatus, the imperialists at London, those who are trying to get us to this regional world government. Right? Cecil Rhodes was the, the previous generation's iteration of this. So now we're at this point where they're forming these regional governments. We've been in hock through our fiat currency, which is just a borrowed money. Through the banks of London, we have these 24 big banks in Chase, Manhattan, all these kind of big banks that make up the the board of the Federal Reserve. But those big banks are all established by international banking houses in London and in Europe. So let's not pretend like that those, it, those, those banking houses are not totally created and stood up including Morgan, including Rothschild, including Rockefeller, and just on and on. All the recognizable names that we understand, these banking masters, they're all stood up men, made men, they're the little pencil pushers and the, and the counter clerks of the big banking elite. Right? So let's just face that, that we are in debt to the same people that we fought our war, revolutionary war against, the war of independence, we're in debt to those same elite noblemen. Let's just get over it. Let's just face it. And so all this backlogging of you know, the Wuhan projects, all, all this, you know, study that, as far as putting the virus there in these labs and studying these things, they're all, just like we read in the article, these are all cooperatives from major academic institutes around the world. And just like we pointed out, Yale Intelligentsia were involved in standing up Mount Seidong. We have the history of the whole thing now. If you go back 30 years, it's much more obscure. It's much more harder to see. But today, we can see very clearly what's taking place. And they're moving us towards this point of economic fiscal collapse regarding our currency. Military defeat and invasion regarding enemies who are being built up, who are able to build uh, aircraft carriers much faster than we can. They're able to build up coal power plants for for the energy that they're going to need. To, to do the war machine. They have all these things at our disposal. Here we have betrayers. We have people standing on our throats like Biden who will not allow America's energy production to be picked up right now. It's just like what happened in World War II. The people who could go get the coal and burn the coal could win the war. And it's the same thing now. We don't have the ability to get the energy and we don't have the ability to produce it for ourselves or for anyone else. So that that's what Russia and China, and China are going to be doing full force. They're going whole hog into producing as many power plants as they can, maybe one a month, and we're over here putting our all, all our power plants on mothballs, right? As the, the invasion, the, the Japanese in World War II, they envisioned invading California because that's the big coast, right? That's where you would invade. Well, China's got the same plan. They're building islands. They can hop an island chain along the Pacific in order to get to California and just invade the entire region. We're not talking about Canada we're not talking about Mexico, we're talking about California and America, because that's that's really what it's all about. It's really about toppling the superpower here in the West and bringing about this massive dynamic change, which will enforce London's real policy, which is the North American Union. So we're here in this lull, this interval period, the calm between the, the storms, so to speak, and we are not too vehement and not too radical in our attempt to shine the light on this difficult issue. And, of course, if you go back just a few years ago, you were decried as kind of a lunatic, and you were under George Bush's conspiracy theory policies, so that you weren't allowed to really convey these kind of ideas openly. But as we move forward and as the, the curtain comes down and as we pierce the veil here, we begin to see behind the, the inner workings of what this kind of inner sanctum is trying to accomplish. And you can see that the globalists are not really interested in the stability of any particular region or the the economic liberty or freedom of any particular nation, state. They're just interested in destroying the current system of Westphalian nation-states, bring them all back into this, this paupery and into this penury and uh, universal economic poverty that will allow this regional system to be built. And, of course, this is the regional system of Cecil Rhodes and the, the Roundtable uh, Fellowship like we were talking about before. And we can see that these, the energy, uh, the information, and the exposure of this plan is pretty explicit. It's pretty, it's pretty well publicized now. If you just want to take a look and pay attention, you can find out what is actually happening. Time for fearless and courageous people, people of conscience, people who have the intellectual ability, the people who have the moral fiber to take a stand against this rising system of tyranny that was once uh, long ago put in check. Now it's it's rising again. So in order to really just get a good look at this, what I, I agree with entirely is the opinion here of Laura. L- so let's just take a listen.
6: In discrediting this, are you or are you going to ignore them? I mean, why do you care? Why do you care what these people say? They've lied about everything under the sun. The same media organizations that come after you know Trump and attack him, or you, or anybody else, or attack me. The same social media companies they censor the truth about COVID. They censor the vaccine injured. They censor those who have died. They censor naturalists who have solutions that counter what big pharma wants. They censor the Hunter Biden laptop. They push false information about that. They lied about Russia collusion. They lied about Ukraine impeachment and and Trump's rule. They lied about the Biden uh, corruption. I mean, why does anyone care what these people have to say anymore? I don't know, I don't give any oxygen to what they do. I couldn't care less about anything they have to say. They have no power over me, absolutely no power over me. And I would encourage everybody out there to stop listening to these people because they have proved themselves to be absolutely worthless. Laura,
7: one, one question. So about about one week ago today, I was standing on the border of Israel and Syria. On the other side of us from Le- was Lebanon. This is the Golan Heights. So I was standing atop the Golan Heights. We're looking across one of the most militarized. Uh, you want to talk no-go zones. You want to talk DMZs area. That's a border. That's a serious border. That's a country that takes their border security, their sovereignty, their nationhood very, very seriously. Our country obviously doesn't do that. And you're detailing that in this threat assessment. And I can't wait to read this to go through chapter and verse. But it sounds like it's it's not even beyond that. It's a baseline assessment of everything that's going on. But here's my question, though. The reason that the politicians... Across these borders, and the reason that this isn't getting the prioritization and the financial backing that it needs within the agencies and the hierarchies is that there are people at the highest levels that are actually benefiting from this. Isn't that true, Laura? That's the reason that we can't shut down our borders the way that Israel shuts down their borders. The reason that we can't have a Golan Heights type of border security at our border is that there are people who are getting remember ten percent for the big guy, right? There are people who are making money. On on this on both sides of the border that are in cahoots with the cartels. That's the reason that we can't have our border shut down. Look, and you want well, on the immigration question, you got Republicans chamber of commerce saying they want the low wage workers. You got Democrats saying they want the voters. That's why so many of our politicians are turning a blind eye. They won't care what the threat assessment is unless we actually do something about the politicians and the the moneyed interests that are making uh, that are essentially exploiting these people the people that you're very the very people you're talking about and, and identifying here that have been sold their children in many cases have been lost we don't know what's going on with them but there are people making money hand and fist with this situation isn't that the reason that these threat assessments seem like they get they come out year after year but they're going nowhere we have to take this threat assessment this information and then go to the politicians that are supposed to be representing us
6: you're right jack but it's only part of the story the money is an incentive for many people who are involved and there are corrupt officials always that are drawn into this but at the end of the day our leaders have the power to change all of this in a heartbeat it's exactly the same with afghanistan they didn't have to leave 80 billion dollars of military equipment in the hands of the taliban they didn't have to lead you know, U.S. Marines and soldiers through minefields getting killed year after year. They could have leveraged the technology, the advanced military capability that this nation has and they, against the Taliban, and they could do that against the cartels. They could declare the cartels terrorist organizations and bring the full resources to bear of the United States government. Donald Trump wanted to do it, and he was prevented from doing it. He was prevented from doing it by the type of corrupt leaders who you were talking about, and they're not just motivated by money. On one level, yes, it's very convenient for the people who are the masterminds, right, of these policies to use corruption as a cover and a shield, to use money and money incentives. And there's no doubt, you know, that for the cartels, they're making billions out of this, right? I mean, human trafficking is estimated to be worth about $150 billion a year. And that's probably not even an accurate figure. It's bigger than that. But what that masks is a much more sinister agenda here where there is actually, and I've spoken to sources, one of whom was actually in meetings where this was discussed in behind closed doors at secret meetings at the UN level where the plan was discussed to infiltrate 100 million people into this country for two reasons. One, to dilute the pool of Americans who actually know and understand what it means to be American, what this country was founded on, right? The inalienable rights that are that are from God, that form the basis of the Constitution. If you don't teach your kids about that in schools anymore, if you teach Marxism as a system of economic organization that's equal in weight to capitalism, which is happening in schools across America today, if you don't want to to talk about the Pledge of Allegiance, and you don't want to mention God, and you don't want, um, you know, you want your flag to be a symbol of extremism and domestic terrorism, and uh, uh, instead of it being a symbol of something great that is the basis of this nation. If you want to teach your kids that are coming into this country that uh, white people are are all white supremacists and are all racist, you're, you're diluting the pool of people in this country who want to fight for what it is to be American, who understand what it is to be American. And that is by design. It's not an accident that that's happening. It's being manipulated. And there are people who are paying for that. They have names, they have faces, and they have addresses. And I'm sure... You know, they don't want me saying these kind of things. I know this is why you know the attacks come in the form of another daily piece article or another hit piece in the Washington Post or the New York Times. I don't know, and I don't care. And and that's you know, and there's much more sinister um, threats that come, like death threats mailed to my house. And I'm one of many. Anyone who speaks out, they're either attacked publicly, they're discredited, or they disappear. I don't care, okay, because my kids are not growing up in a world in which people say, oh, you know, kids to traffic and raped every day for money, and that's okay. No, it's not okay. And the second part of this plan is to create a regional government of Canada, the U.S., and Mexico.
0: So, I just got a positive right there. So, you can see, this is why Laura Loomer will join the great hall of fame that is the women leading America's intelligentsia. Because, of course, she is going to be one of the honest ones, one of the... Real American fighters, fighters for democracy and freedom and liberty of conscience and political liberty. And she's going to be one of the ones who's going to tell you the truth about what's really going on in the background here. So a lot of these other guys uh, up there in the CIA and the FBI and the Pentagon, they, they don't have any, any kahunas left. They've been clipped and they're no longer really men. And they're not really able to speak the truth because of their career or because they want to have advancement or because, like we said, their, their gonads are gone. And they're they're good at leveling their weapons against the American people. But as far as it comes to going into dangerous missions and into dangerous territories and, and putting their lives on the line to defend America's borders and to defend American sovereignty against the encroachments of our enemies, then these guys, they got no, they got no more testicles. They're all quiet. They're all on the take. All the generals are up there in the World Economic Forum. Or, you know, the Council on Foreign Relations panels or what have you. And they showed earlier the the time when they had uh, Joe Biden come up and speak at the World Economic Forum. And, uh, of course, Nazi Klaus over there, little mustache man Klaus Schwab over there, is going to you know point out how involved Joe Biden has been in, in the World Economic Forum for all these decades. So it should be no surprise to us now that we have these betrayers. Up there in the United Nations, up there in the World Health Organization, up there in in the federal government, inside the Beltway, right inside the the zip code region, up there with so many, so many, many billionaires being created every year because of you know lobbying and uh, because of defense contracting and just all these other things that are so important to the the political class up there in Washington D.C. as they sell out the American people, and you can see that they're putting the American people on the chopping block. They're getting ready to round up the American people to put them into the the mass prison camps. They're getting ready to destroy the economy of the American people so that they starve while they bring in all these other replacement people from other places who aren't responsible for this Federal Reserve debt. So that they can just completely clear the playing field of the entire United States continental region, right, of all the people who are actively, like Laura Loomer here and I, We're actively prepared to fight for our freedom and for our liberty and our futures against this tyranny, against this plot for the overthrow of the American people and the American republic here in the United States. And so it's been in the works for a long time. We are on the back of our heels here. We have an executive branch who's completely out of control. We had a president who was supposed to be our hero, Trump, who did, did have an opportunity to put Proclamation 2039 and 2040 the Emergency Banking Relief Act and all, you know, the Trading with the Enemy Act and all this corruption that's overthrown the your government and constitutional government in, in Washington, D.C. He had a chance to put that back and make it right. But he did. I guess he didn't want to give up the executive war powers. He didn't want to give up the executive orders. So he just did what all the other presidents do. What Obama and Bush did, he raised the debt. He issued executive orders. And he furthered the plan for... North American Union, okay? So that's really what Trump did, and despite all the other illusions you might be under about the good things he did, they weren't substantial, they weren't essential, they weren't fundamental things that were changing the system, okay? He didn't change the system, he just operated within the system, looking like a Republican, kind of like Bush did. Of course, Bush was a skull and bones guy, and we'll point out that Trump also had a skull and bones guy. Of course, we had Steve Mnuchin as the Treasury Secretary under Trump, who was Yale and who was a uh, Skull and Bones guy. So let's just listen to uh, Laura Loomer finish up here just real quick.
6: Of going to these people who've come in who still have families in other places and saying, you know, we need a, a regional government that can facilitate travel for you so you can bring your families and you can go back and forth. And this is how they break down sovereignty and break down Nations all over the world. So there is always a political plan behind everything that you see and as powerful a motivator as money is, it is not as powerful as those who want power.
0: So there we have Laurel, and of course, if you go look, you can see that the the liberal left really hates her. They call her the meltdown queen. They call her a lot Islamophobic and racist. And they they call her everything that there is to call people to try to dissolve their credibility and to ruin their reputations and to just you know cause you the public out there to just disavow anything that she might say. But if you take a closer look at what she is saying and why she's so toxic in the mainstream news media and why they have blocked her off of Twitter and done all that, you know, of course she's been deplatformed in every way that you can be deplatformed because what she is saying and what the other people who have courage and still have testicles in their body are saying is that the process of betraying the American people and undermining our national sovereignty is well underway. And by the time you figure it out and you start to sound like Laura Loomer and you start to you know raise your voice and you get begin to become affected by the truth in such a way that you're motivated to, try to work against this planned outcome, which is the the collapse of the U S then of course, you're going to find yourself being called a racist. You're going to find yourself being castigated in exactly the same way. So you have to kind of prepare yourself for that, you can't be a part of the technocratic cyber sphere of acceptable people and play society right out there, just posting little comments and just, you can't be a user of your smartphone. You can't be allowed to have a bank account or to, to operate in the new economy if you're someone who doesn't like that your country is being destroyed, okay? If you have a problem with that, if you have a problem with this new regional government that's the brainchild of the Royal Society in, in London, then, of course, you have to be silenced. So, let's carry on our fascinating discussion here. All right, so as we go forward here, we're going to have to introduce some more information, some more insight, and some more discussion, and we have to really, like, diversify our viewpoints here so we can get a lot of divergent ideas into this conversation because we can't just let it be the fanatical ravings of one. right? We have to look past and see who else is discussing this issue and what it really means as we're going forward and how much credibility we need to give to these claims. And we can see as we go forward that the background agenda through the global institutions, United Nations and what have you, is moving us towards this Peer-to-peer platform, this kind of one-world technocratic application on your phone, so that everything is kind of becoming universalized through this the cyberization of international politics and our borders. So let's go ahead and listen to this fascinating discussion here with Matt Smith on geopolitics and empire, and just listen to you know the discussion they're having
1: living a life in, in in my home, Croatia. And it's like, as you said, it's like I came to the hard conclusion, realization of what's really going on. Uh, that's not going to cut it. I'm going to have to give up that dream, you know, c- c- cut and run, give up that dream of, of Croatia and come to, uh, you know, head on down to Mexico. Um, and that's what we did. And it turned out to be the right choice. I just read yesterday that Croatia is going to be introducing the digital passes. Now they're going to be limiting gatherings. and uh, They said by 20. So next year in Croatia, All uh, citizens who need uh, services from public institutions will need to have the digital certificate and proof of vaccination, not even negative tests anymore. So if if I'm living there and I need to get like a driver's license, I don't know, or renew something, I can't do it. And it's like, you know, this is just as I foresaw. Uh, And then just kind of my my, my question on on the parallel structures. So I know you said you went down to Uruguay for the summer you know advancing you know four five six months buying time how bad i mean if this keeps going you know if this turns into years i mean what are you planning or dog or or others like i I mean is that in the back of your mind like if this just keeps going and then just deepening like are you going to just stay there in uruguay go somewhere else and yeah well um if you do I'd like to come back to that
8: because I want to point out that when you're talking about the uh, the 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 passport, the digital passport that Croatia is gonna, you know, you have to have vaccine. Not even testing will work. This is a perfect example of the essentially the straw man arguments that are created to draw people in, that uh, that basically keep you from seeing the bigger picture, because you know the, something is introduced that has a semblance of of uh, reasonableness or has a backdoor or has some way some workaround. And, you know, you go, uh, well, so you, so you don't end up opposing the vaccine passport at all. You oppose the idea that it doesn't include natural immunity. Like you end up going, well, how can you say natural? Like they, they, don't, they specifically don't include natural immunity because, it's such a, because it, it makes people insane. Because everyone knows natural immunity is better. Everyone knows it. And so they go, yeah, but, but, you know, and in some places they compromise and they do start including it, but only if you've had a positive PCR test. And so in the U.S., they say that you can't have natural immunity as part of it, but they just held that out there and it makes people crazy. And most of, the, most of the opposition to this stuff is focused on what about natural immunity? What about natural immunity? And they're like, it's like, the, the, my whole point is that it draws these things, this is an irrelevant debate, debate. Like It doesn't matter. It's just designed to suck the energy out of the room and keep you from focusing on what's obviously happening, the bigger issue. So don't don't fight against vaccine passports. Just be upset that the testing regime is expensive. You know? Well, they paid for the test before, but now they don't. Like, who cares? That's not the point. So, anyway, um, yes, I expect things to continue. I expect this is going to continue for a while. Honestly, I don't... How long? I don't know. But I think it does seem to me that this is a uh, um years thing for sure it seems it seems like it's years. Uh, I don't know what it looks like on the other side of it it seems like it's years. so you need if you believe in that parallel society thing and you believe you need to be able to set up an alternative structure, well you have to make sure that you have the, your basic needs met. Uh, you know what are the basic needs Well, food is a big one. so why do I one of the reasons why I like why is because tiny little country three and a half million people, they produce enough food for 50 million. 50 million so that seems like it's better it's also a you know it's not the same sort of there are huge farms here but there's a lot of little farms like lots of people do small scale farming so that makes it so that it's not as centralized it's harder to cut off there's fewer choke points there um you know people are trying to cut off your access to food essentially so you have to be able to produce your own food or get access to food that's really important so we're working on plans to make sure both of those things are in place um, and I say, we, I mean, Doug's got a ranch here and he's, you know, his, he thinks, he's, he thinks his needs are met, but I'm working, I'm looking to build something else, you know, something different. That's more, more diverse, sort of, uh, yeah, something's a little more diverse in terms of his food production, but the, uh, uh, but yeah, I expect at this point, I think this is the place. I think this is better than other places. Um, I think it's almost everyone forgets about it. I mean, Mexico has been like the place where Americans go. Hey, this is the place to come. Come here, and I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. It makes me nervous. Um, I don't see how. I mean, my argument with Mexico really is fundamentally is that if you see an economic crisis coming, which I don't know how that cannot happen, uh, the Mexican economy is so dependent on the U.S. economy that I don't know. I just think that there's going to be a lot of a lot of uh, difficulty there as an offshoot of that, and then we have that kind of difficulty. Uh, then you know it's you can have the chaos that can run through a population when its things fall apart. I think people just are totally unaware of how bad things can get and how they can get bad really fast and in, in densely populated places, especially where you have people who are desperate. It can get bad fast, and cultures that don't mind a lot of violence,
1: frankly. Yeah and I would add again uh Mexico. I mean I I'm, I'm here just because you know, I I've been here for I I'm a Mexican <laughs> citizen so uh, this is just where I, I I am but um one of the downsides as you as you said besides the integration of the economy the North American Union it's not a conspiracy theory. You know, I I, inter- I had the last interview with the father of the North American Union who passed away in 2014. I interviewed him in December of 2013, Robert Pastor, Council of Foreign Relations. And there were like one or two white papers that just were published this year discussing North America, like from academic elite think tanks discussing. Really? And, and even AMLO came out a few months ago saying we need to integrate Canada, USA and Mexico using the EU model, which I was saying literally 10 years ago and people were calling me crazy. Here's the president saying it now, and the, and and kind of what you're saying. Where I give the example here now, they're starting to implement the same COVID policies as Canada and U.S. So Mexico, is, that that's part of that whole North American same economic, uh, same political uh, policies, you know, energy policies. So that's all gonna you know come together, Canada, USA, and Mexico. So and, and Uruguay would, would have been one of my second options because again, as you mentioned before, I, I know someone in Uruguay. Uh, I speak Spanish, and so uh, if I wasn't in Mexico, I would have gone looked into going into Uruguay. So you can see that they're having
0: this discussion. These are guys who are expatriates and have multiple citizenships in multiple countries, which you can do. I think that some people have up to six or seven citizenships in multiple countries. So these are individuals who are are well-informed. And, and while, you know, have the means and the capability to kind of act on this impulse to be able to uh, reach out and diversify your, your living situation and your economic horizon so that you're not just trapped in, into one paradigm. And so that's why I reach out with this episode and with these episodes to try to inform you and to try to give you information that uh, maybe others around you do not have. But give you a perspective on the kind of pragmatic and defensive posturing of people who are well informed and who realize what is coming down the pike so that's why you need to be informed you need to be aware even if you are dealing with cognitive dissonance and you just cannot accept the the words that these people are saying and just you know you have to listen to critical Analysis. You have to listen to the other side of the arguments. You have to listen to information that was always considered conspiracy theory. You know, you have to be able to take a look at what are the facts on the ground and in the newspapers, and what is happening within the Council on Foreign Relations, World Economic Forum, uh, you know, the G20. You know, these are the different events that are taking place, and you know, we can see that over in Dubai they had a Sustainable Development G20 meeting. Situated by the United Nations, I think that was March 29th and March 30th. So you can see that's you know 329, 330, and you can see so you can see that the all the information, all the the symbolism, the gematria, all the numerology, all this emblematic insignias that they use, and, and you got John Kerry flying around the Skull and Bones men, right? The almost president flying around the country in his jet to talk about controlling the environment, how the government, this new world government will control the environment and take away your ability to hike in the woods. And, and you know, back in the day, Abraham Lincoln would chop down logs and make a, a log cabin and he would live in it. He would just carve your home right out of the, the wilderness, right out of the land, and just take your sustenance and, and your you would hunt that land. And, you know, there was a wild, no man's land there to be taken, and that is no more. You know, everything is, you know, state-owned park property or reserve land or what have you. And if you go try to cut down some trees, you'll probably get arrested. So it's just that's what the environmental movement has done. It's just made a man one more thing in the Internet of Things out there in the environment that's a polluting, corrupting uh, producer of carbon or whatever. So as we go forward here, let's take a look at some more of this fascinating discussion. And we need to take a hard look at the North American Union because it's coming and it's going to pave us all over if we don't become armed with the truth and the knowledge that we need to to push back here so it's a good time now to jump into this next level of the discussion in order to take us there we'll have to go take a look at jay dyer's work again jay's analysis always on point always the hardest hitting and uh, best and best analysis right and so we have to take a look at some of the background players sometimes jay will do episodes that are four hours long so we we have to just kind of find the right little micro bite of his discussion that will really support what we're trying to to say on this particular episode so let's take a listen to jay dyers he's going to break down some of the background players take us back into the background uh we know we have we have to go take a look at kissinger's international seminar at harvard we have to go look at um the what was going on with skull and bones at yale and and they're you know they're obviously manipulating events in china for a very long and they they made sure that uh, Mao Zedong got into power and we have to look at some of these other, like Carol Quigley out of Georgetown and Zbizny, Zbizny, Zabrinsky, uh, you know, Mika's dad, as we like to say. So let's take a listen to this uh, this interesting update here.
9: It's a big new Brzezinski. It rolls out of the mouth like something Bill Cosby came up with in a coke fuel binge. It's a big gizabble dibble dabble. But no, who is Brzezinski? Brzezinski is one of the most important technocrats of the 20th century and thinkers of our age. In fact, he's in a way a successor to Dr. Kel Quigley, which I lectured in uh, about 18 hours, 16 hours on the totality of tragedy and hope. So definitely go to Jay's analysis and check that out. But what we're going to talk. Talk about in this week's Jay's Analysis Show is the writing, the works, the interviews of Zbigniew Brzezinski. Now Brzezinski went to McGill University as a someone fleeing from the Soviets uh, out of Poland, and at McGill he was noticed for, I think, studying technocracy. And you can you can find this very easily in his first book in 1970, Between Two Ages where he talks about weather modification. He talks about ELF towers and the ability to influence people through large-scale electromagnetic weaponry. Uh, he talks about uh, the ability to create a completely government-controlled apparatus which would uh, direct you from womb to tomb, basically. He called it lifelong education, even back in 1970. So Brzezinski is formative in many ways. He talked about how the Internet would be this catalyzing force to mow down ideologies, how the technology would kind of become a new religion uh, in the next several decades. And he says basically that there's the death of three things, the death of God, the death of religion, the death of nationalism, and the death of culture. And this is achieved primarily through consumerism. So here you have a a key technocrat who would be a deep state advisor to numerous administrations after him. Carter, uh, Reagan, uh, he would even be prominent in the Obama administration and that's because he's the father of the NGO smart complex soft power approach. He's the father of that technology of using hybrid warfare to destroy existing cultures, break them down through control chaos and destabilization. So you have to understand Brzezinski to understand the 20 Century and the clash of civilizations idea this idea of smashing the West against something against Islam this is a planned thing that uh, Samuel Huntington, Bernard Lewis. Many of the neocons and Brzezinski, who appears to oppose the the neocons at times, but that's only because he wants a more direct approach to to, to finding nationalism, to ending borders. Brzezinski pioneered this idea of destroying cultures through the through the end through the end of national borders. So, uh, uh, population migration, uh, weapons of mass migration. This was an idea that Brzezinski talked about. It's an old military strategy. So Brzezinski is in many ways the successor to Bertrand Russell and H.G. Wells without all the fun. So you can remove all the the, uh, exterior trappings of uh, of utopianism, and this is what you get in the character of Brzezinski, a Machiavellian figure, uh, no doubt. But we definitely need to understand that Brzezinski is the father of the very things that we're living through. All of this war on terror, uh, this is not a, a... uh, chiefly a, so a neocon idea. This actually goes back to Brzezinski. He's the one who trained the Mujahideen. He's the one who gave Carter the idea to uh, use the Mujahideen and create create Al-Qaeda back in 1979 in Afghanistan as a force against the Soviets. So Brzezinski is not an American, and this is what trips up a lot of people, because they they look at him, and they try to figure out, is he, is, he a, is he a capitalist? Is he a socialist? Actually, Brzezinski is above the fray, and he says this in every one of his books. is 1997 book, Grand Chess, he says that you can uh, be above the fray and control the Manichaean dialectics, and that's what technocracy is. Technoc- technocrat goes back to the 1920s, it goes back to the Huxleys, it goes back to Bertrand Russell, it goes back to all these characters who want to establish this global grid basically to control every single group On the planet and they would do that through mowing down their ideologies and that's all a strategy Uh, This is not a fair analysis on the part of Brzezinski. This is actually a weaponized strategy And so the weaponization of of full spectrum dominance, that's actually directly from the strategies of Brzezinski So that's what we're going to talk about in Jay's analysis. We're going to look at each one of his works uh, this week and we're going to do a full in-depth analysis. You've heard the interviews I've done this week on it with Global Research and 21st Century Wire. Well, we're actually going to go even deeper and we're going to look directly at each one of the books and we're going to cite pages. We're going to look at the information and see that this is no, uh, no small figure. And definitely, if you wanted to try to understand what's happening in the world, I, I don't think you can do it without understanding this uh, tragedy and hope level figure in the character of Brzezinski,
0: so we're just really following along with a lot of this work that's done by geopolitics and empire, and their and their podcasts and their kind of journalism that they do, recording for us and keeping track of all these kind of different points of view around the world. So this is a real global analysis of what's taking place. As you get the kind of different. Testimonials and the different reporting back from people who are traveling around and seeing different things. So, we have to rely heavily on this kind of insight in order to get our perspective because you can't listen to MSNBC and you can't listen to Fox News. I mean, you can't listen to the BBC. They're all just maddening corporate facsimiles of just some kind of messaging, some kind of just, you know, global economic forum messaging. And then they hit you with the commercials about. Make sure you get your boosters. And, and so you, this is a total system of ubiquitous technocratic brainwash everywhere you go. And so we're trying to get around the edges here and trying to find people who are going to tell us what's really happening. The verbatim truth, the in-person, actual true analysis of the circumstances and facts, please. So that's what we're doing here. Let's take a listen to this interesting little anecdotal insight here. Uh,
1: as usual, you mentioned... Uh... Refugees and another topic that you've covered. I think you've been uh, on the border down in uh, my other home of Mexico I'm a proud Mexican uh, citizen and um, You know, I, th- I think this is another issue related to globalism from my perspective my- migration because uh, well, I've been reading that the C- CBP custom and Border Patrol has had uh, has been having a quarter of a million encounters with migrants monthly uh, and, and I sort of view, you know, the, the globalist ideology being they they sort of want a multicultural Babylonian type system where they want to break down local and national identity, you know, like Mexican identity, American identity, individual European uh, identities, because they want to form, you know, pave the way for a supranational uh, identity in the form of regional unions like the EU, like the North American Union. So, you know, apart from poverty and crime in Latin America that's pushing people to go up north. Uh, I also think the globalists are egging on this uh, migration to, to flood uh, the U.S. And you, you've been down, I think, also on the Guatemala-Mexico border. Uh, what did you see and what's sort of your takeaway, uh, you know, regarding your time there?
10: It's kind of interesting you're asking me about those borders because historically I've spent far more time on Balkan borders covering the migrant crisis in uh, southeastern Europe and all over Europe. But uh, with, with regard to what you're bringing up about the migration, I guess, in North America and globally with globalism, I I tend to view globalism as the integration of markets, governments, and countries. So the immigration issue is definitely huge in that. Uh, there, there's definitely an element of... Integrating countries into larger global structures, supranational structures, as you're saying, and uh, migration plays big into that. I did not time uh, my my uh, North American migrant coverage so well. So I, in uh, several years back, I was in a bunch of hotspots in the Balkans, in uh, right after. September 2015, August 20, I think it was August 2015, uh, when then German Chancellor Angela Merkel announced, infamously announced refugees welcome. I, I was in the Balkans back then and I was I went to a bunch of hot spots. Uh, Idomeni was one of the more infamous ones on the Greek Macedonian border, but I went all over covering uh, the migrant crisis and I saw a lot more action there than I did. On the, the U.S.-Mexican border at Tijuana, or, um, basically in Tijuana, and uh, the Guatemalan-Mexican border down along the Suchate River, I went to those spots during COVID in 2020 a couple times. Well, the first time was before, right before the lockdown. So uh, I caught the tail end of a migrant caravan that was going up through Guatemala and into Mexico, and some made it into Mexico, some were stopped. What happened was then Trump was president, and Trump basically pressured AMLO into doing something about the issue, and what AMLO did was he sent the National Guard down to the to the Guatemalan border and lined them up along the river, and I got lots of shots of that both times that I was there, and and those guys gave a beating to the migrants that they found and the migrants that they caught, and there are other Mexican officials spread out throughout southern Mexico tracking down migrants. I did some reporting on that back when Trump was president. So since since Biden's taken over, I have not been on any of the— well, I mean, I guess there's one main border to report on in the— in North America right now
0: with regard to the migrant situation. That's the US Mexico border. And I haven't been back there. So we'll just go into a little bit of their entire article that they published there. And he's gonna go on to discuss how this is really just a universal policy of the World Economic Forum, of the globalist elite, that power structure is is performing this this demographic catastrophe. And they're pulling the pin on this uh, on all the different nations of the world. So Sweden is dealing with it. All these different countries across the world are dealing with this influx of raiders and invaders. They're not there just with smiling faces and clutching uh, warm suitcases of hope. They're they're there to create mayhem. And this is being facilitated by Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. Undoubtedly so. The Council on Foreign Relations... Zbigniew, Zabrinsky, and all, all these individuals. And you'll see that this process of breaking down nationalism by internationalist forces have a lot to do with the, the papal knights in the background that are really running the show, who are really holding the, the corporate seats of power, the interlocking corporate directorates that are basically governing the world now, who are running this scientific experiment, if you will, this process of cyberization of the world and they're going to do this and implement this world government this technocracy on top of the bones of everyone who resists so that's what we're going to really get at the stark reality is that this is getting down to brass tacks and it's getting down to the fact that their their words and their actions are keeping everyone enchanted and really deceived and really kind of set in this normalcy bias and we have to really get break out of that now if we're going to survive. So I have a lot more I want to show in this particular episode in this particular syllabus journal entry. That was Josh Friedman just kind of giving us his insight. And so I want to go now and take a listen back to, um, you know, Steve and is going to bring Laura on when everyone else is basically trying to silence her. And I think she's one of the more highly rated journalists of action, you know, women of action who are really doing what they have to do to spread the truth. And so let's take another listen to her perspective at this point in the show now.
8: People cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border is secure?
6: We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration.
9: Good morning, Steve. And Brian, this bus just arrived moments ago. I talked to some of the folks. Apparently this bus has come from Del Rio, Texas. That's what a gentleman on the bus told me. And he's,
10: pardon me, they don't dare us? Venezuela. Venezuela? Habla Inglés? No. Si, ¿Sí, no? No? La, la, pre, la Presidenta
9: Harris dice que frontera cerrado. La frontera es cerrado o abierto? Abierto. Abierto. So what she saying, Steve, I asked her if Vice President Harris says that the border is closed. She says. It's open as we see these migrants coming across now. Talk to many migrants along the border who are very grateful
3: for these governors. And also, uh, as of late, the El, El Paso, the city of El Paso, which is Democratic led, uh, for these politicians to get involved in helping them get to other parts of the country. For free
6: is what uh, the migrants call it, but you and I know that this is okay, at the cost okay. of um, the taxpayers in Arizona.
11: So, so, what is happening here, by the way? Uh, it's Thursday, 15 September in the year of the Lord 2022. We're going to bring in a moment uh, the intrepid, indefatigable Lara Logan, one of the best investigative reporters in the world, and now uh, someone who resides in Texas to talk about this. Breaking news, let me make sure I'm giving this more at the bottom of the hour. Uh, FedEx. Who just gave Ford guidance two months ago, 60 days ago, that everything was rosy? Consensus earnings are supposed to be $5.48. They just reported $2.65. This is one of the biggest, most massive misses I've ever seen. And the CEO just gave 60 days ago, everything is rosy. They're blaming everything. That is a bomb The stock of FedEx dropped over 12%, 12.5%, I think, in two or three minutes after market. This is an exp- this, th- because FedEx is a proxy for the overall economy. So the lies and misrepresentations that are going on—that's where we got to watch forward. We cut to the math. We bring the receipts. We talk about capital markets economy. This is a massive story. We're gonna get back to in a moment. FedEx. I, look, if the CEO either the bottom fell out in the last 60 days, or they lied to shareholders. They lied to shareholders in the in the biggest way, and uh, they lied to shareholders. Drop. By the way, drop 15% right now. This economy at the bottom is falling out, and FedEx is a proxy for that. That's a in the mine, shaft. We're going to get back to into a moment. Larry Logan. Larry, you're now a Texan. You live in Texas. You've been throughout the world. You, you, your reporting has taken you to some of the toughest assignments in the world, in the battlefields, um, you know, uh, the, the, the huge migrations, the border conflicts in the third world, sub-Saharan Africa, everywhere. Is Kamala Harris right? Do we have a secured border? Or as you see it as an objective journalist, not not someone that has political inclinations or, or or perceptions, but as just a journalist looking at facts, is the border of the United States not only not secure, but is there definitionally an invasion of this country, ma'am?
6: Well, the border is open because we are living under a globalist policy of open borders. So there is no border security to speak of. Um, weapons are flowing across, drugs are flowing across, people are flowing across, uh, money is flowing across, uh, Ill- you know, illicit funds, and so on and so on. I mean, everything that comes with an open border is what's flowing. And the reason it's happening, Steve, it's not, it's not just an invasion, it is an invasion, but an invasion that is part of a long-term plan and political ideology to uh, obliterate the sovereignty of this nation and change the way the world looks forever. It's not just america's sovereignty that's on the chopping block it's uh, sovereignty all over the world it's just that this is the place that is the the light and the guide for the whole world and so this is the country that has to fall first in order for the other countries to fall and what i learned from a source who is a very unique source having um infiltrated uh the globalist cult at the un level is that he was in high level meetings that required a number of security clearances where they actually discussed the plan to bring 100 million people into the United States in order to pave the way for a regional government of US, Canada, and Mexico. And that was to bring in 100 million people from Latin American countries together with a strategy of creating these cartels, making life unbearable, it's called a push-pull strategy, where they push all these people out of these countries where it's unbearable living uh, like this, and they pull them into the United States and then once you reach that critical number of over 100 million in, in this invasion, they will then propose that, well, for your family and friends back home who need, you know, you need ease of travel, they need a better life and so on and so on. We can do all this better with a regional government than we can with a U.S. government. And they will have enough critical need. You know, you need ease of travel. They need a better life and so on and so on. we can do all this better with a regional government than we can with a U.S. government. And they will have enough critical mass inside the country in order to affect that policy. That's, that's the globalist plan that we're working towards. But what we're already doing is living under their policy, where they've made uh, the right to migrate a human right, recognized the UN in 2018, and that now supersedes our sovereign right, thanks to the Biden administration and the open border ideologues who are in this government, who were never asked to be honest about their strategy in the campaign trail, who have bypassed the legislature and are implementing a strategy and a policy that not only did no Americans vote for it, is they want to give me the opportunity, but most Americans don't support.
11: You know, if you just look at the statistics, the New York Times said, hey, there's a million uh, unauthorized, basically, migrants or illegal aliens here trying to get asylum. But if you go back and look at the numbers, you know, the government admitted there's 13 million, right? <laughs> Uh, there's other people, other commentators, and CIS have done the math. there's really 30 million illegal aliens have been here. If you look at the difference of the 4.9, we've had Todd Bensman and others from CIS all that said no. The number's probably closer to maybe seven or eight now in the first 18 months of the Biden administration. If you add those two top line numbers, and I'm not saying they're accurate, but maybe directionally, you're already if you you could arguably say you're at 30 or 40 million right now. So when Larry Logan sits there and goes 100 million and people go, that's impossible, that's a conspiracy theory, where you could argue we're 40% of the way there,
0: ma'am. What, what? So, there we go. We'll just go ahead and cut it there. We'll add all this information in, in the show notes. You can go back and check all this, all these articles, all these podcasts, all these broadcasts are absolutely fascinating, and they're absolutely crucial for us to get a good perspective on what's really really going on. Earlier, I might have said Laura Loomer. I'm sorry, is Laura Logan. So, just to kind of crack that, but, of course, we have that, you know, penciled in here for our our, our series with women leading America's intelligentsia. We're going to definitely make sure that Laura Logan is coming in here with her reporting, with her work, and we just want to keep that documented for our really exclusive listeners. And we want to point you guys over to our really awesome Sponsor for these episodes recently, and of course, it's Wendy's Limited.com. And Wendy's Limited.com is one of the internet's hottest luxury boutiques, best value luxury outlet online. <laughs> And of course, we have to remember our wonderful sponsors at wendyslimited.com, and they have been really gracious to make sure they take care of us over here, so we are always first to go shopping at wendyslimited.com, and we like to shop for our hottest new styles, and of course, the best couture, and the best value boutique online, so you have the hottest limited catalog selection for everything that you need, and so yeah, they're going to have all kinds of fashion accessories and jewelry, high quality, brand names. I noticed that they were adding some really good prices on Versace purses in there. So if you want to find out where to go to get all your the best items and the hottest new styles, and the hottest designer uh, couture, you have to check out wendieslimited.com. So that's Wendy's Boutique online catalog, wendyslimit.com. And we hope you'll go over there and check it out and just find a way to support our awesome uh, sponsor over there. And Wendy'sLimited.com has, like we said, the best value of the boutique and, um, go ahead and give them uh, five stars over there. Appreciate you guys. So thank you again to our wonderful sponsor there. Wendy's limited.com hottest new styles, best designer labels, and, uh, Best value luxury boutique online, wendyslimited.com. So we were going to just carry on now with following just some of the commentary that uh, goes on here that we can find here. And uh, which it's not much, but we we can go back and we can check the, the news articles and we can look and we can see where this whole topic of regional, regionalized world government is really beginning to be exposed in the public. So that we're have to, we going to have to gradually see the buildup of these issues in the press. And so that this idea of this North American community, however, you know, however they want to gradually, this system of gradualism, however they just want to gradually help us to arrive at the final conclusion of what they're trying to build. And through this process of, of having a crisis and then offering the solution to the crisis. And then so you have this thesis, antithesis process of making the synthesis again and again taking place. And you can see now that as they destroy the border and as they create this catastrophe where we have to use some kind of military means, some kind of extreme policing means now to deal with the endemic and horrific crime wave that's pressing all these immigrants that are coming over the borders into servitude with gangs and cartels and MS-13 and the whole thing. So as we're looking at that take place here in America, where you have to recognize all across the world and in Europe, this policy of the World Economic Forum to create mass migration that's catastrophic and to create this massive influx of illegal immigrants and all the crime that comes with it in order for it to be an internecine disaster. So this is the purposeful creation of chaos and conflict in order to get the result that they want, which is to destroy Westphalian nation-states to destroy the border systems, and it's been done before. They did it to the Ottoman Empire. They just went down there with their naval uh, gunships. The British went down there and just blew the place up and destroyed them, and, you know, and and they were no longer able to be the Ottoman Empire, so the British went and carved them up, and they created all kinds of little countries like Jordan and like Saudi Arabia. And like Iraq and Iran and Lebanon and all, all these countries were created by the British. So they're just little British fiefdoms. You know they were created in the, the early 1900s. You need to recognize that. And the same thing was true for South Africa. The, of course, the, it was very different because the Boers that went down to South Africa to fight for their own land and their own independence were fighting for their liberty against the kind of uh, the dictatorship of the English Empire, and they were looking to try to create their own. The Boers were trying to create their own uh, independence there and create their own nation state there. And of course, they had the very catastrophic and the very uh, devastating war against the Zulus there. And so now you have the African ANC and you have this kind of built up democratic terrorism being instituted because of these the policies of, the, of the World Economic Forum, like I said creating this massive instability and creating socialism and creating the, the conditions so that a government and an economic stability in, in South Africa are no longer viable. So they're, they're crashing that state and you can see the same kind of situation taking place here in the United States. So let's listen to their discussion here
1: as they're discussing the, the difficulties in South Africa. Yeah, I think you, you, you touched on most of those uh, points and just maybe to bring it back to Africa uh, again, you, you sort of outlined a lot of these problems, yet you maintain uh, optimism. You know, what what would be sort of your summary, again, of, of the situation in, in South Africa?
12: So what we're having at the moment in summary is we're having a, a sort of national-level infrastructure collapse where only 30% of our rail infrastructure is still working. Most of our road infrastructure is busy eroding quickly. We're on the brink of a grid collapse um, of our national electricity grid. Uh, and we've had perpetual rolling blackouts for almost two straight months. And our biggest metropolitan is running out of water or, or cannot provide water to half of its residents. So from a, from an infrastructure point of view, it's a complete disaster. From a political point of view, we're having a governing party. The African National Congress is set to probably lose the next general election. And they are busy fracturing internally into different factions. And that faction fight is becoming very violent. Plus, they are directly integrated into our criminal underworld or organized crime networks with all the various mafias, uh, from taxi mafia, construction mafia, the gangs, uh, the illegal miners, all these sorts of things. So we have a gangster state from a political point of view. Our national safety and security situation is disastrous. We're one of the most violent countries in the world. I think the sixth highest homicide rate internationally last time I checked Um, and there was a third Oh, and our economy is 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 completely wrecked however people haven't sat back and done nothing Um, there's been a huge amount of organization in building parallel resilient uh, economic, uh, social, security, and uh, and infrastructures, sort of projects and structures. And uh, in some places, it's more evident than others. There are areas of the country that will not survive um, or that will never recover. But if you go back to 1910, when South Africa was artificially created as the Union of South Africa, we're not really a, a nation state. We are a geographic area with the central government with 11 tribes and 11 different languages, all sort of semi cohabitating in relative peace with each other. But none of us really identify with this, this thing called the national identity. And I think we're on the brink of that thing becoming uh, dying. Uh, At its end And and uh, I'm not quite sure what it will be replaced with But at least you're not back Where we were 20 years ago Where everyone is still believing in this nonsense
1: It's going to be replaced By the supranational African Union and then world uh, Government, I was talking about this yesterday Uh, Secretary of State U.S. Blinken and my President Amlo of Mexico They were literally I can't believe it, literally Calling for North American Union literally. They're saying integrating Canada, USA, and Mexico, just like the EU. And I know the African Union uh, already exists. They're trying to make a common currency for one giant block of, of uh, Africa and bring it, whip out those African Union passports. So I, I think you laid it out correctly. The national thing isn't working. And I think they're trying to bring us into these regional unions. Time will tell. So we'll just carry on this vein
0: and we'll just go ahead and just look at the at the next little particular uh, podcast drop that we have here with geopolitics and empire. And it's interesting to get that that Pierce Corbin on here, apparently he's the brother of, of Jeremy Corbin and they have something to say about this kind of unipolar rise of global autocracy in the name of these regional governments. And of course, it's the first time we'll hear the mention of a South American union which of course that's new to me so we'll just have to listen to this fascinating discussion and I appreciate you again coming back to uh, to pay attention to this fascinating discussion
13: Uh, Let's understand that there are real power blocks in the world there is Russia, there is China, there is the USA and there is India and Brazil and certain other countries too Um, but there's the three big ones now each of the regimes in those countries will do whatever is best for them. And they've all adopted kind of aspects of the World Economic Forum, Great, visa, kind of, but they'll adopt those bits of it which help them. And, of course, power and control in their own country is what really helps them. So, you know, you can understand how, in a way, it helps Russia to have a war because it, regiments their own people. And they they've been forced into the war as well by NATO, because NATO is on their doorstep. I mean the Ukraine, look at the map, it protrudes into Russia. That's why that's why NATO is there to upset Russia. So Putin had to go in. It was no no nothing he could have done other than go in um and and of course him going in suits the west because they've got all this story too so it suits both sides to do it is there an actual war yeah there is an actual war people are dying people are dying to defend the right of self-determination of people in East Ukraine. Now, I support the right of self-determination. I support the right of the Scottish people to have self-determination. Of of the Punjabis, to break away from the Indian superstate. You have to support that. It's basic stuff. To call us, you know, Russian Stooges for that is insane. I mean, you know, let's be clear. That is a democratic issue. Um, But anyway, back to the question. In the long run, what... Do the Russian what Do they want the World Economic Forum to take over? No, I don't think they do, but I think, you see, all these players in these countries feel, well, they'll do what's best for them, and that they'll go along to certain aspects of the World Economic Forum. Now, the World Economic Forum has got a bigger, longer game, so they'll try and manipulate these countries into into it, but you see, in the end, the world economic forum does depend on cooperation from the mega corporations and the superpowers. And when it comes to China, I mean, what's happening there is—I uh, mean, it's grotesque. And I know Chinese people, you know, and they are amazing. You know what I mean? Uh, hardworking, uh, intelligent, and so forth. For the people who are kind of organising things so. there, um, But they're going along with these completely mad things which are actually undermining the the strength of the Chinese economy. I mean, having people locked up, being inefficient and so on, masked away, is is insane. But at the same time, that gives that regime power. So they'll carry on doing that. And I can tell you now, though, there is massive opposition on the ground in China. I mean, people have been fighting back in a real big way, which you'll never believe. Till you've seen some of the pictures which which i i think are true so uh, i don't think the regime in china will get away and i think they'll have to back off and become a bit more independent now i don't know if that answers the question but i think the world economic forum is primarily run by mega corporations and super rich and people behind the scenes and we'll carry on seeing relative independence from it in, uh, in russia certainly china Complicated, but I think there's going to be some big changes in China because they've gone in too fast and too hard with with lockdowns.
1: Yeah, and maybe to get your thoughts on on Europe uh, as well. uh, I'm a U.S. US citizen. I'm a proud uh, Croatian, but that also makes me an EU. Citizen, and I've never been a fan of the European Union. I've researched its its roots, its history. Some say it's got Nazi roots. Others call it the new European Soviet. I believe Gorbachev. <laughs> yeah. yeah, i I believe he did that, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I met Gorbachev, but I, I, I did read a really? quote wow. uh, about five years ago. But uh, he, he apparently he did say that he he didn't understand why Western Europe was trying to recreate the Soviet. Uh, union, and so we're seeing the EU become this technocracy. All of these crazy rules, no sovereignty, no democracy, and you know there, there's Brexit. And you know, just your thoughts on this. some are saying the EU is going to uh, disintegrate. I, I personally hope <laughs> hope it does, but just your thoughts on on uh, the EU uh, Brexit and, and and whatnot.
13: Yeah, I think the EU, looking at it now, it was a trailblazer for the World Economic Forum Great Reset. I think they were just testing things out. Now, the origin of the EU is interesting. It was the um, Iron and Steel Federation post-war. Uh, basically, the idea was set up by leading um, industrialists in Germany. Uh, and then the French cooperated, and the French and Germans agreed they were going to de-industrialise Britain. That's what they agreed decades ago, and that's what they've done. Look at the British economy now. Closing down steelworks in the north of England and sending them off in the name of climate change to India. Same amount of CO2 is produced. But we pay to lose our jobs. It's insane. It is completely insane. But, you know, hats off to them. They've done the most evil trick. You know, making people pay for their own own destruction. uh, Imaginable. So where will the European Union go now? Well, I think there are some problems, of course, because the American uh, Wall Street don't really like any idea of a a powerful European Union, so they don't mind it getting into a right mess with Russia, and they will encourage all that and encourage, you know, pipeline chaos, which is why they bombed it, of course. Will the European Union survive? I don't know, I think it could indeed indeed die, I think so, because although Brexit hasn't really been a Brexit, it, it, it represents a massive feeling by the public that we just don't want this, uh, and you know, you've got people opposing it in Italy, other parts of Poland and so on, uh, uh, and I think it will... I think its program will, will halt and they'll stop being able to implement all these insane rules and then most countries say, well okay, we'll just carry on with our national rules and that'll be better, you see I don't agree with world government in any sense or I, I don't mind, you know, you've got to have cooperation, you've got to have meetings but a world government an anti-democratic world government, no I mean, I think the future of the world has to be based a lot more on localist control i mean that doesn't answer the problem of how mega corporations form and how you have to prevent them ruling the world um but that is an issue to be tackled with uh, we say that the uk live the key thing is accountability the key issues in the world now are globalization mega dictats versus accountability which means control on the ground and Every elected person has to be removable by, you know, a local local petition. Suppose 30% of the population in your area say, We want a new election, there has to be a new election. See, right now, all these.
1: Yeah, I'm a fan of uh, antitrust, as you said, try, try to prevent these huge monopolies. And uh, I recall. I'm also a Mexican citizen, so yeah. one, of my, one of my other presidents is uh, Amlo López Obrador. And I, I recall a tweet from 2016, I think it was, where Amlo was standing with your brother, Jeremy, and AMLO open, in that tweet, Amlo openly said, I don't know if it was your brother or, or both, uh, they were calling for world government. And, and recently, um, yeah, AMLO, AMLO's, yeah. Amlo suggested the Mexican president a month ago that we should create an— uh, a North American union, integrate Canada, USA, and Mexico based on the EU model. And then we had, uh, and we had Lula in Brazil and ex-Ecuador president Rafael Correa just two weeks ago also say that we should copy the EU and create a South, South American union. And so, oh, we, 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 you know, we've got these folks trying to copy the EU and create these unions in different parts of the world. I think that's just part of more of what you're talking about, the, the push towards uh, world government. You know, a, any quick thought on that?
13: Well, completely. I think that's very illuminating. You see, my brother used to be totally anti-European Union, uh, along with with Tony Blair. And, you know, I used to tease him. I used to say, Jeremy, look, how the hell are we going to trade if you don't believe in working with these people? He said, oh, we'll trade with the third world. I said, look, come on, that's mad. But, you see, there was a grain of truth in what he was saying then, i.e., we don't want this monopoly, unaccountable thing, running us, and I've since quite some time ago now, been convinced that that is right, but Hubbard he's gone the other way, because the people that surround him uh, you know, they basically believe in state spending, the more state because they lost the Berlin Wall, 1989, so then they look around what to do, and they, they they identify more state spending with socialism now of course it's not more state spending this is just corruption basically um Copy the European Union, which is the antithesis of democracy. Let's be clear: it's an unelected bureaucracy there, which has a parliament where people stand up and make a noise. Sure, but in the end, what that bureaucracy does goes through, and those people—they give them lots of money to be there and appreciate and pray or whatever they do. But in the end, even Nigel Farage is there as part of the circus to make it look okay. Well, it's not okay. We want to break it up. And if countries want to cooperate, then they should cooperate. It doesn't mean set up a bureaucracy to rule them. It means you'd have bilateral talks. Accountability and democracy when necessary, and that's more important than what people call efficiency. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, looking back at the last 20 years or 30 years, because I was president of Imperial College Student Union, and... Then, you see, that debate was interesting because, you know, engineers and scientists, they believe in efficiency. They believe in mechanisms. They believe in automatic things happening. So, that's why Imperial College is such an ideal place for propagating this nonsense. Uh, You know, because it's full of people who believe in technical solutions, technocratic solutions. Technocratic solutions are not always wrong, but they have to Come below democratic accountability. And that's what I say when I go there. I do go there quite often these days for various things. Um, although the powers that be don't want me there. Uh, uh, you know, and there's all the very intelligent engineers around who, you know, have to get to grips with that. Um, interesting, China, when you look at who becomes the political uh, leadership, you know, the Politburo members and all those delegates in China, then vast numbers of engineers absolutely engineers who just you know they see a system sort it, and democracy isn't an issue that they bother about uh you know, the united kingdom are in different different uh the main politicians are people who couldn't get another job doing anything else and are actually pretty stupid or lawyers who put themselves in charge of everything so the You know, you have basically the cabinet of lawyers and the like, and the rest are sort of also grants who do well at all, Uh, which is pretty sad. There's not many scientists or engineers in Parliament. I think it would be better if there was.
1: Yeah, and and before leaving Europe, just one more question, Mm. uh, just your thoughts on... Uh, migration, because I think this is another weapon of of the globalists. And uh, the UN just this week said that the UK and EU will have to import 60 million uh, migrants. And we see the same thing happening here in North America. The U.S. and Canada are being flooded with uh, migrants. And I think that's part of the project to create supranationalism where you erase national cultures and identities Just a, any thought on, on the migration issue oh,
13: I agree with that completely No, I'm, I'm aware that if I stand up in one of these, you know, former colleagues at my meetings and say, look there's too many Romanians coming here they say, that's racist that's racist, Peers. you've got to let them in no borders free borders, I say, well, okay do you open your door at night to anyone that wants to come in no, we don't. Well, okay, so, you know, what are they saying? I think thing to understand is that genuine refugees have to be helped, and there are world agreements on this, which, you know, as long as they're proper agreements with agreements are okay, but the idea that Albanians coming to Britain are fleeing anything is complete nonsense. They're not fleeing a damn thing. Maybe 40 years ago they might have been, but not now. They're here. Looking for jobs, okay, or in fact indulging in big time in the drug trade because Albanians basically run the well various aspects of the drug trade. In um, having more of them, is not gonna, uh, it's not going to it's not going to help us. Not going to help the people already here, and they are the imports are about destroying UK culture and strength, and the same in every country. They're destroying these working-class communities. I mean, I've lived in Walworth, which is part of South London, for a long time. And when I remember there, you know, it was basically white English. They, they were not racist people. Right? They'd accept people. But then lots of people they'd call, you know, sometimes in derogatory terms, whatever, black or whatever, uh, more and more came. And then some said, me, mean, oh, Piers, we're going to move to Margate now. I said, is that? old? Oh, because it ain't what it used to be. Now, it's true it wasn't. Things were changing. I don't think they were changing badly, but the rate of change upset people. And you see, this type of moving around does disrupt working-class communities. And the, the reset, the pre-resets envisaged in Agenda 21 and Agenda 2013, notice. You see, in the 1992 World uh, Global, whatever, summit, Rio I
1: think it was called Rio,
13: that one, yes They adopted these things about regenerating working class communities because they were getting poor No, 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 no They were talking about destroying working class communities and bringing in, uh, well, where it was appropriate the uh, better off middle classes or just drowning them into uh, uh, you know, places that people wouldn't recognize and wouldn't organize themselves in. That's the point. Breaking up working class communities. So with that, we'll just kind of like put the, our, our finger
0: on the switch right there and just point out that he's really got his finger on the dial of the whole issue that people are going to ultimately be enveloped in. And it's kind of like a, a folding Lawn chair. When you sit in it, and the switch gets bumped, and it just folds you up in it, and you end up just crumpled up in the in the lawn chair, and a mechanical a sandwich. So that's what this whole system geopolitically is designed to do here. And ultimately, people will decide to try to maintain their own standards of culture and language and civilization as they understood it to be. They're like Norman Rockwell paintings, or you you know everyone has their own kind of like. You can go down into South America, and it, every everywhere in the world and people will have their own kind of reminiscent ideal Pueblo lifestyle and, you know, their own kind of idealized family scenario that they grew up in, that they recognize as home and, you know, so on and so forth. Everyone has this everywhere, you know? And so this is the nature of human civilization. So the, the effort of world economic forum is to totally destroy this and basically throw a massive monkey wrench in the normal processes where people generally kind of migrate around, but doing it by, massive, industrial scale, kind of putting in people who are illegal uh, illegal criminal actors. And, you know, that's why you have the mass rapes going on in Sweden. So these issues are going to be seized upon to ultimately become a grievance for the movement that will arise ultimately, this new right, you know, reactionary political movement and these grievances that we had with January 6th and so on, which are real grievances. But the whole point of creating these antagonisms over time, systematically, uh, through all these organizations, these, these powerful influences that are operating through the, the FBI's and, and World Health Organization and so on, to kind of create this unified phalanx of, of destruction here in, in the American economy, all these George Soros's, you know. And so we have to recognize that these big companies, uh, GE, which just recently split into three even larger corporations that will grow become enormous also companies like apple will ultimately have this transnational conglomeration status where they're a multinational corporation that's so massive and so uh, so diversified that if america kind of goes down it's okay all the people in singapore still need apple iphones and all the production lines that are insulated here and there will won't be affected too much, and you know, so these these big companies, they'll just, they'll, they're elites, they'll get on their G6s, they'll fly out to their chateaus in and, and, and Paris or wherever, and they're not really too concerned about what happens to American people here, as well, you know, or the, the people where this this gentleman, Mr. Corbin, where he's at, where he normally understands the, the general civility of his home, his, his hearth, home and hearth, right, where the heart is, and uh, looking around at his neighbors, and when they see a bunch of Strangers lurking about, they're from some other place who don't speak the language and they're just creating crime. And they're seeing the efforts and the effects of the World Economic Forum and this great reset to create this huge, unparalleled problem. And so they'll let all these horses out of the barn and there's no way to put them back. So we have to kind of realize that they're kind of completing the Agenda 33 uh, process that's coming up. We just survived Agenda 21, which was the COVID outbreak. So that whatever Agenda 33 is going to be, it's going to be quite uh, hair-raising and devastating, I imagine. And they never seem to find stop finding new ways to kill people and to depopulate people everywhere. And so that's why they create all these dialectics, all these conflicts all around us. And we're seeing that in the border as they're going to try to pump apparently 100 million Undocumented foreigners who have stuck into the country illegally, who are just going to lurk around in Walmart's looking for jobs, and you know you can see what's going to happen. It's a, it's a societal breakdown. It's a process of quantitative democide and just the numbers that just setting off these viruses, setting off these different pandemics, these different crises, and uh, one after another. And so you can see now we have to look at nine eleven. We have to be suspicious of it. People are like, I know it was just Osama bin Laden and. Poor Bush, poor President Bush decided to rally the American people. We all had to have the flags. But then if you're really a skeptic and you really have your your eyes open uh, or, you know, not eyes wide shut, right, if, you, if your eyes are open and you're conscious of what is being moved forward, then you can start to look at the edges of what happened with 9-11 and realize that it was just a, a skull and bones operation to basically, you know, save on the devastating costs of taking those old ass buildings down, right? They're just so old. Can you imagine what it would take to like, take those things down, follow all the regulations and take it all apart safely as all the, you know, the street, the people just carried on business as usual. Now it was, a, it was a way to take care of the insurance gig on the whole thing and just knock it down and get a, a little terrorist attack bonus out of it. That's really what it was. And uh, if you look at the Bin Laden family and go back and, and take a look at their connections with the early Bushies and all that, It's all just part and parcel of the the Yale Skull and Bones Project. So the same thing is true in my opinion now when I look at uh, Trump and with the the COVID outbreak, it just looks like whether he had control of it or not, he was totally steamrolled by it and he wasn't prepared as a a president. I guess nobody is to deal with these massive uh, international uh, kind of like machinations from these powerful elite organizations and of course his own FBI, his own government basically cut his throat you know so that's really what happened with Trump I think he was I think we could try to bring him back again but I don't know what's changed now that will give him some kind of power at that point um, yeah it's we're in a devastating conflict for the future of America so let's talk more about this this plan for the emerging North American Union they're obviously trying to fit us with these shackles of this coming international uh, regional government that's going to rule over us like the EU that they keep saying so let's let's hear more about that
2: Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs. Welcome to The Great America Show. Today, we're talking politics, but not the usual kind, but politics nonetheless. Politics of the proximate and personal kind, the kind that can have life and death consequences. Today, we're talking about all the conflicting reports and points of view about COVID. That's right. There's another scare storm on the way to this country, To media near you brought to you by taxpayer dollars to persuade you and me, all of us, to get the jab. Do we want to do that? Maybe as much as a shot every two months, we'll be taking up important questions like that. How virulent is the coming of the next viral variant? How worried should we be? And do the messenger RNA vaccines work as advertised? Do they work at all? Do they prevent covid Do they make it less deadly and debilitating or anything at all? And of course, there is the view that the vaccine is actually a factor in worse fatality rates and hospitalizations. Is it really a good idea to vaccinate six-month-old babies? Who needs the vaccine and who doesn't? Our guest today is the prominent physician, biochemist, mRNA scientist, immunologist, Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Malone's research has been called seminal in the development of mRNA vaccines. While Dr. Robert Malone is not an anti-vaxxer by any definition or at all, he is an outspoken COVID vaccine skeptic and critic. Just a few days ago, Twitter, which mercifully is now under new management, as they say, reinstated Dr. Malone's account with our thanks to Elon Musk. Twitter banned him almost a year ago for spreading what Twitter called then misleading information, potentially harmful information. That is, Dr. Malone had the temerity to inform and caution the American people about the risks and dangers of taking the mRNA vaccines, in particular, vaccines made by Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna. I know a lot of people have a lot of questions right now about the threat posed by another wave of COVID, while hospitals already in some parts of the country are filling up because of this year's flu epidemic and the spread of RSVP, a respiratory virus, which is slowing. And our guest today to take up all of this, to deal with all of these important questions and concerns we see and hear expressed every day, is Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Malone, great to have you back with us here on The Great America Show. Welcome. So now, all across the country, people are being told that the mother of all COVIDs could be on the way to ready your masks, move to an appropriate distance from all other life forms, boost your boosters, and do so in perpetuity. Prepare for lockdown, shut-ins, quarantines, and 24-7 defenses against our fears of all kinds. So that's the hyperbole. We all hope it's hyperbole. Dr. Malone, how concerned should we really be about this new iteration of the COVID virus?
14: Okay, so uh, absolutely, we have been subjected to three years of chronic uh, um, uh, fear porn and information warfare uh, to serve a variety of interests. It's hard to disambiguate exactly what they are. Um, long ago, it seems like forever, I had mentioned in various podcasts that the general arc of what happens when a new pathogen, especially a viral pathogen, especially a RNA respiratory virus pathogen, enters the global human population. And the tendency is when it jumps from another species or from a laboratory, uh, so it's a novel pathogen, it enters the human population. In general, what happens is that it will go through an evolutionary process fairly rapidly and typically become less pathogenic and more highly infectious. And uh, the alternative hypothesis has been that that Gert van der has promoted, uh, appropriately. I'm not criticizing him in any way. But uh, there there's always the risk in virology and public health that a virus could take a different path and evolve to become more pathogenic. The good news is that it looks like this thing is on track as I had originally hoped it would be. And we are getting agents which are more highly infectious and less pathogenic so uh, we absolutely have uh, clear indications that the virus has evolved to escape the immune response elicited by the uh, vaccine products and uh, I, you know hesitate to call them vaccines whatever you want to call them uh, the jabs uh, and It also has evaded virtually all of the monoclonal antibody products that were generated here in the United States for the American population. And those have all been basically withdrawn because they're no longer effective. So that teaches us a lot about monoclonal antibodies and uh, respiratory viruses. Uh, But I I think that... um, uh, it's, you know, the the administration has has yet again spun up another kind of dark winter, uh, ominous foreboding uh, storyline, uh, go get your vaccines, etc. Remember that they've uh, appropriated, uh, without congressional authorization, they have essentially reappropriated HHS funds to the tune of about $475 million to promote the Bivalent vaccines, which, depending on which study you look at, only 11 to 14 percent of the population have accepted, Uh, and they're very frustrated because we're not all willing sheep, uh, and we think so many of us are thinking for ourselves. Even Tony Fauci was on record during his uh, um, you know last pass at the DC press tour a couple weekends ago, expressing frustration that. his opponents seem to be winning, uh, as, as measured by the unwillingness of the population to take the products, uh, particularly these bivalent boosters and uh, the jabs for kids. So that's where it's at. I think we've now been through two dark winter forecasts from the President of the United States, um, particularly last year's. So remember, he was predicting widespread death in the unvaccinated. Um, uh, I'm very glad that that prediction did not come to pass. Uh, we all are. We all I, hope, I hope he is glad, too, uh, um, that that those dark warnings did not manifest. They may not have been politically useful that that didn't happen, but I I picked it up in Mexico City. Um, I've heard the cough all over the world as I've traveled. Uh, I heard it in Istanbul. Uh, there's something that's, that's circulating. It doesn't appear to be COVID. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's not killing people. So I think we can all uh, tell Jake Tapper and uh, his buddies at CNN <laughs> to go pound sand uh, and and uh, um, let's hope that they get a, a pink slip before Christmas, I guess. Is, uh, not that I have anything personal against Jake and his family, but I am a little tired of, of his uh, fear porn business model.
2: Well, he is... Uh He's fundamentally a uh, a left wing activist. He is a uh, he comes from the Marxist dim school uh, of uh, broadcasting. That is, he, he was working for the Democrats in the open before uh, he began working for them. And I think
14: he's a member of the. He's CNN has got this amazing squad of members of the Council of Foreign Relations, right? And he's one of them.
2: Well, there's a lot of that in, in the national media. The CFR is, of course, their refuge from reality uh, when they want to talk geopolitics. Uh, it's it's really quite an organization uh, funded to the hilt by corpora- the, the corporatists, uh, driven by uh, left-wing politics and a neoliberal world order view. So there you are, whoever's in I would love, Lou, if, if,
14: anytime you want to riff on that, uh, give me a call because I think uh, we could all learn a lot from you. You've been around the, this business a long time, and you kind of know where the bodies are buried.
2: I, well, I know where some of them are. Uh, my my chief task over the years has been to keep mine from being buried. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would be delighted to to do that uh, talk with you anytime. time. Let, let, let's in, in terms of this this crazy uh, talk coming out again now from Bill Gates. Uh, talking about, as you put it, a viral winter, a COVID winter. Uh, What is the motivation here, and why uh, are we now being bombarded again? I mean, what is the payoff for those who want to create uh, uh, hysteria, at the very least a motivation uh, for young people to go out and get jabbed, Uh, for uh, young, healthy adults uh, to go out and uh, get this vaccine, when the guys that I respect, and I'm talking about you, I'm talking about McCullough and so forth, uh, you know, the dissidents, if you will, but uh, the enlightened dissidents who have warned us of what turned out to be the reality for for years now. And here we go again with a... uh, a disinformation, I'll call it that. A disinformation campaign rather than a public health campaign. For a minute there, I thought you were channeling Ronald Reagan. Um, here they go again. Uh,
14: so uh, that's the topic of the book, really, the Lies My Government Told Me. And no surprise, the lies keep coming. Uh, the It is really hard for me, having spent a year, a diving down every rabbit hole I could find to try to make sense of all this, I still um, come to the conclusion that uh, there. This is a multi-faceted agenda. In uh, um, it's hard to overlook the data suggesting, and and the documents, the written books about the Great Reset the great narrative, etc. the various writings and presentations coming from uh, Bill Gates's uh, good buddy, Klaus Schwab, and uh, Harari, his wingman, uh, and uh, the World Health Organization, and uh, all of these other globalist um, cabals, that this is about something more than public health. Uh, and... Um, Mr. Gates is on record um, basically bragging about uh, his return on investment by going into the vaccine business. There was a political story that came out a couple of months ago that uh, disclosed, uh, you know, in Politico, so it was basically the voice of the government a lot of the adverse events in other aspects and, in the counterproductive nature of the lockdowns and the masking, et cetera. Uh, And uh, I was on Bannon's podcast uh, with Naomi Wolf, and they were really excited because of these disclosures. And I pointed out to them that this had all the hallmarks of a limited hangout and that uh, what it was really doing was, setting up this agenda for uh, providing a huge boost in capital as well as power for the World Health Organization. Um, There's no question that there is uh, coordination and collusion between HHS and this current White House and the World Health Organization to advance an agenda through the vehicle of the international health regulations to enable uh, Tedros, the director general, to have the power to declare uh, worldwide epidemic emergencies, pandemic emergencies, and once that de- declaration is made, to have a series of basically war powers that, in- that vest directly with this globalist organization. It's, you know, a branch of the U.N., very tied to the World Economic Forum, uh, to give them power... And, and of, China. Or all kinds of... Exactly the CCP. Um, there's no... The, the links between Tedros and the CCP, and the links between Tedros and Bill Gates, are, as Ben likes to say, in your grill. Uh, they, they just don't care. Uh, you know, whether we know them or not. It's not subtle. So, so I think that... Uh, You ask, what's the uh, underlying agenda? There's absolutely an underlying agenda of justifying uh, the weaponization of public health for uh, various interests relating to uh, money, power, uh, centralization of control. And remember, the thing that's on the table with the Um, international health regulation declarations, which were sidetracked basically by emerging economies, including in Latin America and Africa. Uh, What's what's on the table there is um, a pathway to loss of sovereignty by independent nation-states and a connection between the World Health Organization and the World Trade Organization. The World Health Organization doesn't have any enforcement authority, but the World Trade Organization can implement sanctions. And that's what's proposed, is that if Tedros declares a public health emergency, like, for instance... Monkeypox, which turned out to be a nothing burger. Um, and he, he declared his advisory committee's vote of nine to six, nine being against, uh, declaring it a public, a worldwide public health emergency. He declared that a tie that he had to step in and break. Um, that's, that's where we're going. This is the kind of person, the kind of politics, the kind of logic and the, you know, authoritarian, um, uh, kind of totalitarian mindset uh, that, uh, for whatever reason, uh, Bill Gates and his cronies uh, wish to vest with more money and more power. And I'm I am I am absolutely not convinced that the real agenda is um it's, it is public health. I think it is much bigger and deeper than public health. So the, the docs are compromised in their own personal financial situation. They're forced into kind of an indentured servitude with the large hospital chains. The large hospital chains are managed indirectly by the insurance companies and, of course, by their stockholders or their owners, Um, and also by various public health policies from the United States government, and that loops us back to these perverse incentives. Uh, which were appear to have been granted to the hospitals in part because the lockdown policies would have destroyed them financially because almost all of their profit comes from elective procedures then then you have the fact that the docs were all on the front line of the first ones to take the jab. So for them to come to terms with what they've done, and a few of them have, uh, they kind of have to warp their head around the fact that they, probably shouldn't have done what they did initially and come to terms with what they have advised their patients to do. That's a real hard lift. A bunch of the docs that have been at the front line of treating have PTSD, particularly those ones from the major urban centers like New York City. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a a whole bunch of things that go into this. Uh, And uh, one of the worst is as time goes by, it's becoming more and more clear that pharma has basically bought out most of the uh, major journals. And, uh, you know, and the professional associations have huge economic ties to the pharmaceutical industry that often provides them grants and other forms of subsidies. So, it like I said, it's multifactorial. You're, on Our discussion list had been Talking about a transplant case in a pediatric, a child, um, and there are very close ties between the vaccine part of the pharmaceutical industry and the American Transplant Association, which receives quite a bit of money from them. So again, you know, the power of mammon, a whole lot of financial conflict of interest, and. Uh, together with these trends that have forced physicians out of primary care into the hands of large hospital chains. And uh, the hospital chains basically uh, giving the physicians no choice other than to toe the party line uh, for a variety of reasons. And one of those is, frankly, legal coverage. Um, If you work for the big hospital chain and you veer from the approved protocol for treating COVID and your patient dies... Um, The hospital chain is liable. And so it's the path of least resistance to just go along with what the government
2: says. And the risk is consigned to the patient entirely as a result. Oh, absolutely. When you describe this, uh, big pharma, uh, public health agencies, you have the White House, government, HHS, CDC, and... Uh, the economic forces that work on doctors, uh, all of uh, all of healthcare, really, uh, you're talking about a system that is so uh, interconnected. I'm going to be kind at first, and then I'm going to be blunt. Uh, they're so interconnected that it's almost impossible for any of them to wiggle free from the system uh, and still be economically viable. In any other Straightforward language—that's called a corrupt, a corrupt and uh, 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 ecology. You, yeah, that that just is mind-boggling. It's so profound that
14: um, I I cannot see. I'm asked all the time, "Well, what can we do to fix HHS, for instance?" And really, the same question goes for Homeland Security. The same question goes for. Um, Agriculture Department, the same question goes for FAA. All these entities that have dual purpose, dual function, they're all compromised. Um, and it's so deep and broad that it seems like they've completely lost integrity. Our government has lost integrity. And uh, it's hard to see how we get
2: that back without tearing it down to the foundations. Well, you then you overlay that with a very straightforward ideological reality. The Marxist Dims are driving the Democratic Party. The Marxist DIMs control the White House. The Marxist Dims mean to, as Obama promised, fundamentally transform America. We're watching it happen before yeah. our eyes. We don't always recognize it. We always can't see all of the interconnections. But what you've described... Uh, it should scare the the living hell out of anyone, because that means the transformation is so far uh, advanced now. Uh, I I don't know if it. I seriously, I, I just don't know if it if we can rectify. It. I that's hence the
14: logic of rebuilding um uh locally, uh in uh cells basically enabling uh. Positions to transition back to primary care,
2: um, direct fee for service, avoiding the insurance industry. I, I think I could take almost any century, and look at points uh, that uh, w- were major shifts, whether it be in a technology yes. foundation that led to societal change. That led. We can we could do all of that. I'm more worried about the conscious determination by elites who have power, wealth. Uh, and capacity and uh, the ambition uh, to uh, attack uh, society and our our government structure in this country. We are unique in the world. I believe that attack has been underway for some time. Well, I, think, I'm what you. I yeah. think what you're describing is representative of just how broad the assault is and yes. how far advanced it is. Uh, and the time to, for slumber is over. Uh, we we know the Democrat Party is something quite different than what many of the liberal Republicans want to acknowledge, which is it is a force for the destruction of basic values, institutions in this country that will alter the nation forever. Uh, and that also is very advanced. I, I'd like to turn, if I may, uh, to... Uh, well, I'd like to go back to your point. Why do you bring up this fourth turning and, uh, you know, resets? Uh, what, what role does that play in our analysis here? Um,
14: in my path over the last year, uh, in that of my wife and co-author, Dr. Joe glass um, we've tried to make sense out of, as you are in this program, this broadcast right now, to make sense out of these dysfunctional public health decisions and policies. And the only way that we've been able to uh, have some semblance of sense-making is to recognize that there are multiple agendas being served here and that uh, Event 201, uh, this planning session that occurred in uh the fall of 2019 uh, regarding a novel coronavirus, which seems to have uh, completely anticipated virtually all of the actions of the governments all over the world. And uh, one observes the harmonized uh, propaganda and information warfare campaign that we've all been subjected to, particularly strangely these English speaking nations, uh, Canada New Zealand, Australia, United States, Uh, when you you look at who it is that's managing those responses and the harmonization between those policies, in every case, there seems to be this common tie of the World Economic Forum and the Young Leaders Training Program. And then you dive into the book of Klaus Schwab, The Great Reset, Mm -hmm. and you dive into the... Uh, economic issues which the central banks were confronting in 2019, which are the same but perhaps worse than existed in 0708 crash. The need to inject capital into the economy and um, because
2: of COVID, we should we should
14: No, that was that that's the the need to inject liquidity into the economy existed prior to COVID.
2: Well, um, well, if I may say. The need to to drive more capital into the economy resulted from the immediate deterioration of the economy following the arrival of COVID nineteen. So, so that's that's that's, that's, that's early so twenty and that's, that's, that's early twenty twenty.
14: That, that that is a topic for uh, that that uh, many would uh, disagree with you on many economists. Okay.
2: Uh, I'm, um, not, I'm not.
14: I'm not. I'm not. Ernst Wolf doesn't... in Germany would be one. Um, and Ed Dowd would be another,
2: for example, um, former BlackRock analyst. Well, I think Uh, we could probably find a few, but I'll tell you this. There's one reason that we're looking at $9 trillion on the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve and the vast expenditures uh, that were initiated under under the Trump administration uh, and then which moved to obviously drive uh, most of the inflation that we've experienced. I know that's not politically that's the foundation of it. Larry
14: Fink of BlackRock has just come out and uh, is attempting to campaign the idea that inflation is the consequence of populism.
2: He's yes, already to, to blame Mabic, MAGA for this. Yeah, I don't care. Larry Fink is also the guy pushing ESG, Exactly. all Exactly. And that you world. asked so you asked Both me corporate global. Yeah, you you asked me is, why, not, but, why I'm I'm I was, saying, but what you're saying is Larry Fink is some sort of authority. He is a salesman and he is driving these ideas which are convenient to him. And in doing so, in league with left-wing government, i.e., the Biden administration and the uh, and the Marxist dip.
14: and and the CCP and the West, yes, yes. and people may wonder. So my my all point, my capital- point yeah, yeah, you you asked me um, why I felt the need to go there in terms of these broader agendas. Yeah, and the answer is I don't think you can comprehend. You you cannot make sense out of the public health response in the COVID crisis without resorting to awareness of these broader agendas that have nothing to do with public health, but which have benefited from the COVID crisis and the response resulting in the most massive upward transfer of wealth in the history of the United
2: States. I'm familiar with it. I've been writing books on this since for 20 years. Uh, and, and the reality is that's where trillions of dollars are still moving from this economy uh, to uh, to trans,
14: China. This, yeah, and these transnational organizations in which uh, this is the big, I'm sure you're, you're, you've long been there. We're, we're at the position where capital has become decoupled from nation state and geography. And it flows out of nation states to these transnational corporations, these huge funds, uh, of which BlackRock is one, uh, which roam the world seeking return on investment. They have no other purpose than return on investment. They have no ethics. They have no underlying drivers. Um, And they find the Chinese model very attractive. They have said so explicitly.
2: And so, and so have they. So is Joe Biden for crying out loud? Yeah, exactly. But but no, oh, re- Joe Biden is bloody owned. I mean, let's just be
14: blunt. Um, and and whatever Elon Musk's agenda is, and I don't think it's that he wants to save democracy personally. He's a businessman. Um, come on. Uh, but uh, the well, Twitter files are are revealing uh, so many aspects not- of what's been going on.
2: You know, uh, doctor, you, you say that he's a businessman. The word almost was spit out of your mouth. There are good businessmen and women, oh, but, but my point is, is, there are there are yeah. even there are even, and I will hesitate <laughs> to find a name here, but there are even uh, oligarchs who can be positive influences in society should they choose to do so. Too many don't. I take your point. Elon Musk but, is much. Well, what I'm just experiment. trying to say
14: about Elon. Is that um, to attribute to him uh, entirely uh, um, uh, social uh, benefit agenda? He's not an altruist. I'll agree with you. He 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 is he, he's not doing this for altruistic purposes. He has the Twitter was bought to significant part by Middle Eastern money, um, and uh, as you know. Uh, uh, you know the golden rule, right? Those are the gold. Make the rules, and uh, I, there's no way you can get me to. Uh, Elon is just doing all of this out of the goodness of his heart. Um, I think you've just let into it. We desperately need uh, our, your listeners, my followers, all of us. To think for yourself, get educated, understand about fifth generation warfare, understand about propaganda, understand the role of corporate media um, in crafting our belief systems. Learn about fifth generation warfare. You are the battleground. The attempt is to control your thoughts and your emotions, and the best way we can resist that and maintain our sovereignty, our integrity, our freedom is for each of us to get educated and think for yourselves. Don't believe what I say. You know, listen to me, listen to Lou, listen to everybody, but own that you have the responsibility to think for yourself and to um, do everything you can to protect the future that you want your children to live in because otherwise these globalist, um, extremely high net worth individuals are going to put your children in the position of being indentured servants. And it's kind of the final game here. It's the time that we all have to stand up and, and fight if we want to be independent. And if we want our children to live in a world, anything like the one that we've enjoyed.
0: Well said. So with that, We'll just point out that uh, Dr. Robert Malone and Lou Dobbs are great Americans, and they're making sure that this very urgent message is getting out. And it's it's important that this whole entire system of technocratic tyranny that is kind of developing through the COVID nineteen e passport system, just an extension of the same kind of policies that we're seeing here. we could, You can could see that the coupling between the World Health Organization and the World Trade Organization and the effective kind of self-construction of this new world order system here that we're dealing with, I think they're going to ultimately come down with this mandate for, and it, there'll be some kind of emergency crisis, some kind of city is going to get blasted you know there'll be a nuclear explosion there'll be massive warfare between you know in russia whatever there'll be some kind of means by which they're going to switch the emergency level here to to an extreme an extremely uh, high alert a situation with the public they're going to mandate electronic ids so these are going to be digital ids and it's going to be coupled with of course the digital currency because ultimately it's the central bank digital currency that they're all agreeing on in Saudi Arabia and in, uh in Dubai right and so ultimately there's they're they're not able to sustain the cash they're not able to sustain the system it's completely imploding so they have to go to this kind of smoke and mirrors this you know it'll supposedly be based on a, jo- a blockchain but of course it'll just be more shell game and more you know central bank printing of currency ultimately to control the people with massive debt so that's what you're doing and of course this obviously this next level fifth generation warfare will encompass the you know the digital money so that you can not just freely buy and sell and trade as you want to you'll have to ultimately be an apparatchik an approved ink member right 1984 you have to read the book but if you're an approved ink sock member if you're an approved insider elite you'll have free access but of course as soon as you um Find yourself on the outs, and you you know you find the Stalinistic, the new world order, new bolshevik regime wants to get rid of you. They'll just turn you off, and your, your device won't work, and you no longer be able to to get any food or have any kind of digital transactions. And of course, people will avoid you like the plague. They'll treat you like a pariah. They'll treat you like you have leprosy, because no one wants to be associated with you and have what's happening to you happen to them. You know, so th- this is the process that we'll see unfold and as we're going towards this towards this process of breaking down the world and the vulcanization of regional governments and people will rush to these regional governments because they'll be they'll be fleeing the refugee zones you know the refugee zone of California they'll be fleeing these different areas as you already see them starting to do and as they flee you know eventually the the federal emergency management you know crisis centers will be put up and people will be fleeing into the camps And uh, that's what will happen. And we saw that during the Bush administration with some of the the big hurricanes where people were demanding to be given um, enslavement by the federal emergency uh, FEMA task force, right? So that's what you can expect to see here in the future as we go forward. So we have to fit a lot in in a short time to do it. So here, let's just jump over to this this next article that we want to introduce. So we have this guy. He's a physician. And he's pretty well dialed into the world in South America. And the Latino community is there in the various uh, nations and languages and communities of South America and wonderful Spanish people there that live all over the, the region there. And, of course, he's going to talk more about this this uh, kind of news that the, they are breaking to the South American people, uh, the president of Mexico.
15: Today's topic is the North American Union. Mexico Socialist President Andrés Manuel López Obrador, AMLO, recently spilled the beans about what's really behind the Biden regime's open borders policy with our drug cartel-ruled Southern neighbor, and it's a biggie. AMLO related a conversation with Biden's halfway Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, in which he stated, quote, I think that Mr. Blinken spoke about consolidating the region of North America, and we agree on that, unquote. Consolidating the region of North America. Did you get that? So open borders in which 4 million illegal immigrants have entered our country since Biden was installed into the presidency. Isn't it simply about recruiting more reliable Democrat voters for future elections or even imploding America's welfare state a la pivot strategy? Instead, it's actually about merging the United States with Canada and Mexico into the so-called North American Union. Of course, the so-called NAU is has been on the drawing boards of the globalist plotters since at least the first Bush administration and gained enormous traction when Bill Clinton signed the Job-Destroying North America Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA, in 1993. Unfortunately, Ronald Reagan himself broached the subject of a North American common market in his presidential announcement speech in November 1979, although it is unlikely he knew or understood the full ramification of what he was proposing. The purpose of NAFTA was not simply to enrich corporate America at the expense of working Americans. It was a stalking horse for the eventual political merger of the North American continent. First, economic merger through NAFTA by eliminating tariffs and trade barriers, and then political consolidation by abolishing the United States itself. NAFTA successfully accomplished the twin goals of outsourcing American jobs abroad while unleashing massive illegal immigration into the United States by destroying the livelihoods of millions of Mexican campesinos and its small farmers. The pattern was laid out years ago in Europe, where the so-called European steel and coal community in the post-World War II years morphed into the common market and then, in the 1990s, to the European Union the superstate which has stripped the historic national identities of Italy, France, Germany, Holland, and the neighbors into a Brussels-run regional world government. The idea of creating three regional world governments, one in Europe, another in Asia, and the third in the Americas, has also been the long-standing objective of David Rockefeller's trilateral commission, which has stacked and staffed American presidential administrations since it picked Jimmy Carter out of the peanut farm in Georgia and made him president in 1976. The step-by-step process to so-called world order was outlined by the Council on Foreign Relations, Richard Gardner, decades ago as a process that involved slowly eroding national sovereignty rather than that old-fashioned frontal assault against the existence of the nation-state. In 1974, Gardner wrote, quote, In short, the hassle world order will have to be built from the bottom up rather than from the top down. It will look like a great booming, buzzing confusion, to use William James' famous description of reality, but an end run around national sovereignty, eroding it piece by piece, will accomplish much more than the old-fashioned frontal assault," unquote. The timetable to create that North American Union was thrown off by the events of September 11, 2001. Prior to that tragic day in American history, Globalist President George W. Bush was moving strongly in that direction in conjunction with Mexico's equally globalist President Vicente Fox. Fox stated in 2001 that he saw a convergence of two economies, convergence on income of people, convergence on salaries, and indicated that the final convergence he envisioned will erase that border, open up that border for the free flow of products, merchandises, and capital as well as people. Of course, what Fox neglected to mention is that he will also be opening the border to drug cartels and human traffickers, as well as lowering American living standards to match those of Mexico. However, 9-11 caused the ruling classes in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere to shift their focus to a series of trillion-dollar quicksand wars in the Middle East and the involvement of Saudi Arabian terrorists and visa holders in attacking the World Trade Center closed off any likelihood of so-called comprehensive immigration reform during the Bush years. Never to give up, in 2003, the Omnipresent Council on Foreign Relations organized something called an Independent Task Force on North America. And that task force issued a press release in a statement two years later calling on the formation of a North American economic and security community by 2010. The task force co-chair... American University professor Robert Pastor authored a book called Towards the North American Community, Lessons from the Old World for the New. That book has been called the blueprint of the North American Union and even suggested the creation of a common currency called the Amero. A 2005 diplomatic cable released by WikiLeaks six years later was described by the National Post Robert Hiltz as discussing, quote, The obstacle surrounding the merger of the economies of Canada, the United States, and Mexico in a fashion similar to the European Union, Also, in 2005, the so-called Security and Prosperity Partnership of North America, SPP, was formed with the purpose of promoting greater integration of the economies of the United States, Canada, and Mexico. The Trump presidency obviously threw a monkey wrench into the plans to create the NAU, with a nationalist president focused on secure borders in America's first trade and manufacturing policies, the globalist agenda was placed on ice for four years. Now, with the feeble-minded puppet Biden carrying out Barack Hussein Obama's third term, he has been full speed ahead for every America-destroying plan ever cranked out from the radical left think tanks of the D.C. swamp. From facilitating the envision of America's southern border to wiping out America's long-stop energy independence, to flooding our cities with criminals and fentanyl. The Biden regime is working with unprecedented speed in dismantling the United States so that it can be merged into a union with a nation run by drug cartels and oligarchs, to our South and Fidel Castro's bastard son, to our North. The North American Union will mark the final nail in the coffin of American independence. It will be the death of the nation. And regardless of what you believe about the legitimacy of the 2020 presidential election, every voter who casts his ballot for Joe Biden should hang his or her head in shame because that voter is responsible for the ultimate betrayal of his country. This is Dr. James Veltmeyer. Thanks for listening. If you would like to comment on today's broadcast, please go to our blog at drveltmeyer.com. You may also order your copy of Physician and a there. So there
0: you go. That is a good way for us to understand and analyze the the ramifications that are happening there on the ground, because these are individuals here who have seen it up close and personal, and are, who are going to have the the consequences of this playing out in their home countries and within the families of their loved ones and people that they know all around the world. So, these this is why we can't uh, you know turn away from this particular discussion and this particular journalism. And this information, as it kind of comes out and, and turn back to CNN and turn back to all the other kind of hyper-politicized, corporatized news uh, mediums that are there just to kind of keep you uh, asleep to what's happening. So you need to wake up. I think ultimately these huge cartel uh, media organizations are going to just transfer their allegiance over to the new flag and the new currency and the new regime, and they have no interest in, in what's going to befall the American people. So a lot more needs to be said about this particular discussion, so let's go ahead and listen to Matthew Tierman, and he's going to just bring up in his little reporting here more of this kind of discussion in foreign press and the foreign news services about the the rise of the South American Union. So not only are they talking about consolidating the North American Union, but now there's obviously talk with Lula in Brazil and with that influence of the Chinese Communist Party and the development of the South American Union. So let's listen to this reporting here.
11: It should be not lost on anybody that McCarthy stood up there at one o'clock in the morning when he gave his speech. He says, we're going to investigate the rise of the Chinese Communist Party and particularly infiltration here in the United States of America. That's another big thing today about the select committee under Gallagher to get to the influence peddling, influence peddling in the United States. Wan Shishan has said, and has told Lula, the key is legitimacy. You must show your legitimate. This is what they're working on in, uh, in in Beijing to convince Lao Beijing that they are not just a criminal element, that they are actually a legitimate government. Matthew Tierman, just give me the facts. Where do we stand today? And this is this is where you got to get your number two pencil out, Mika. You can catch up here. We're going to give you a quick pricey on what you guys willingly did not cover. You willingly looked away from this and you looked away from the Brazilian people. There were millions and millions, tens of millions of people in the street, working class people, and particularly, wait for it, evangelical Christians that are not prepared to sit there and let a atheistic Marxist communist criminal like Lula steal the election and steal their country. Matthew Tierman.
16: Well, we talked about it over and over for these two months, these largest manifestations in human history, at least a constitutional republic. The revolution would not be televised unless they could use it for their globalist integrative narrative. If Article 142 was invoked, then it would be, here's a coup. Well, okay, it wasn't. Lula was inaugurated, and now you have this protest, and they can make their January 6th corollaries, and now we're seeing the dishonesty in which they're spinning further to cement their power. Lula has stated multiple times in the last few weeks about the integration of South America. He's already floated the idea of one common currency for South America, which if you thought the euro was a bad idea putting, you know, southern agrarian uh, European economies like Italy and Spain together with industrialized north like Germany and Holland that made no sense, well think about merging Venezuela, yeah. Argentina, Uruguay and yeah. Brazil. All different types of economies, but that gives them the power to make the Marxist Latin American superstate that Lula has been dreaming about, it's why he created the Forum of Sao Paulo. Workers of the world, unite! This one is, big well, land map out on. of oil. This
11: Orwell, is why. This is why. This is why. This is why. Wang Shishan, the brains of the operation in Beijing, the smartest and toughest guy they have, just doing the it's, the consolidation of the Eurasian landmass. He's doing the deals with the Mullahs, the output deals on oil in 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 Tehran. He's the one. That's sending Shiro there. He's behind the scenes cutting the deals with our allies, Saudi Arabia, about the output deals in the Gulf Emirates. He's the one inviting uh, the head of the UAE to Beijing. He's the brains of the operation. Exactly. They see the potential for a communist super state in Latin America that totally goes against the Monroe Doctrine. Am I going too fast? Make it. We'll slow down.
0: So with that, we'll just put a pin in it. Of course, this is a really red hot show that they have there, and we'll put the we'll put the link in the show notes for you to take a look at if you have time to go back and listen to the entire show. But they're just kind of breaking the news there. It's it's a little bit of a news break, and of course, you can see just now that um that Jack Pasovac dropped his North American Union episode, and of course, it interrupted my entire production. because I had to go through there and listen to his episode, which is really good. And uh, we'll take a little peek at that too at the end, just to point out that this is kind of the discussion that's taking place. Even though people who are regular Americans around the you know kitchen table probably don't have any kind of clue about what's really building up and what's coming down the pike. So you have to kind of be prepared for what they're going to try to to do here, and, and it has a lot to do with paving over. Your children's future, heritage, and prosperity with this new plan for a supranational, regional, world government that uh, will just put you in touch with your local uh, uh, United Nations rep. You can call in and voice your your problems that you have there. But in the interest of time. And uh, getting this thing wrapped up, we'll just go ahead and just run through the rest of our, our links here. we have one more link that we'll add in there, which is going to be the famous evangelist and prophecy teacher, Perry Stone, who is always awesome. We love all the, the Stone brothers and cousins and nephews and all the, the Stone families. But Perry Stone is really just a fascinating scoop here. And he brings to the table because he apparently got us got a hold of some of the money, some of the actual New North American Union banknotes that they're kind of getting ready to start passing around, and of course this will happen. They call it the Amero, but I don't think that'll be the name of it in the end. But it'll be this new international banking tender that they're going to put out. And of course, Perry Stone in his back channels got got a hold of some of it, and he shows it, and it's um it's pretty interesting. So I'll just have that link in there. So as we press forward here, we'll just have to show once again the War Room is really kind of on top of it and is willing to. I put out the news articles obviously that everyone else is too scared or too paid off or too controlled by their editors desk or whatever it is too corporate corporatized or or too just afraid to to veer off into some deep waters about issues that are heavy duty issues or geopolitical affairs other people just don't know how to really deal with them and of course you know a lot of people like Lou Dobbs have been at this whole subject matter for 20 years so it's kind of it's time for everyone to kind of join the party and try to to um, wrap your heads around what's really taking place here and to, to kind of adjust to what the ramifications for you and your family are going to be and what it's going to take for the men of America to deal with this. So let's just listen to Steve Bannon kind of discuss this a little further.
11: So, I look, I got Biden down there, and they're doing this immigration thing, the migration thing between the three countries. Look, here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to put the three countries together. Don't don't. They're trying to get an economic zone. They're going to start with that, but they want to merge all three. They want to merge all three. That's the end game, and that's why you're seeing all these legal pathways now, which they talked about there. But I want to go back. You've got a piece on the Daily Mail. you got this U.N. situation. you got the lawsuit in Pensacola. There's so much going on, and there's a lot of people – by the way, you got the guys in Texas have said, uh, we're putting in a thing that the U, we're going to go to zero in the U.N. until they build the wall. You've got other uh, people putting in policies that are going to have hearings. This thing's on fire. If you've sat there for a long time and said, hey, I'm tired of this guy get I think you're starting to see – some activity with fighters, people who are tired of it. And there's two bills out there right now to impeach Mallorca. So, Todd, go to the U.N. part first, because I think that connects some dots. Then I want to talk about your your article, but I also want to talk about this Pensacola case. Sure. Well,
4: there's a a 2023-2024 budget document that's online from the United Nations about all the money, $1.7 billion, that they're going to shower all along the migrant routes to the U.S. border, uh, among the one, within the 1.7 billion dollars they're going to spend down there in 17 Latin American countries, is 450 million dollars on cash and cash equivalents that they're just going to hand out to migrants for uh, shelter, transportation, rent, lodging in hotels and hostels. Uh, Debit cards uh, for uh, 600,000 people. Uh, There's a support network with real cash, most of it coming from U.S. taxpayers uh, that will be showered all along the migrant trails to sustain this mass migration to make people want to come, not worry about coming, and certainly not want to go home or
0: stay home. So there we go. You'll have to go back and do a little bit more digging if you want to find out the entire report on that. It's fascinating, but you can see the United Nations is fully invested in using our money to build up this ultimate readjustment, massive readjustment, like what they call osmotic pressure, so that this humid, this massive demographic tidal wave will basically change the landscape of America and North America. Forever and for the future so that the fix is in and that the process of collapsing America's national heritage is just well underway. And in order to really just discuss this further, we have, like I said, we have this little kind of scoop that popped the other day with Jack Posobiec, and he does a little introduction on this whole issue, so we'll just add it in here at the end. And, of course, I contend that this entire process of teeing this up was continued unabated throughout the Bush and Obama presidencies, and, of course, uh, Trump's presidency as well. And maybe you thought it was, he, he pitched it as like a much better trade deal, much better than NAFTA, but, of course, this is just the completion of all the process, the gradualism, the slow progressive staging of these economies so that they would ultimately be, as America would be collapsed, it would be collapsed into the the regional United Nations North American Union project. And so we have this fabulous section by Jack Posobiec all queued up here, so let's take a listen to that. We should continue not only state partners, but to increase our coordination, and
2: uh, that's something that, uh, that we're going to do. I think your phrase was we work together, we could achieve great things, and I believe that. I know the American press is tired of hearing me say this, but I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic about the future and the near term, and uh, it's going to be hard, but there's a lot we can do together. And uh, the fact is, uh, we've been partners and friends. We're NATO partners. We're involved in the, uh, the North American Leaders Summit. Today we're going to be going over and seeing our, our counterpart, uh, the President of Mexico. But I think uh, what we should be doing, and we are doing, is demonstrating the unlimited economic potential that we have when we work together and in the hemisphere and to help the entire hemisphere. Um, And uh, there's a lot we're going to be talking about, including uh, clean energy. Uh, We should be the clean energy powerhouse of the world. Ladies
7: and gentlemen, welcome aboard tonight's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today is. January 10th, 2023, Anno Domini. Are you ready for the North American Union? Are you ready for the Amero currency when the U.S. dollar gets knocked off of its t- status, of its perch by the Chinese Yuan and One Belt, One Road? Are you ready for globalism to come back? Because that's what we're seeing here. We've now seen a new globalist deal. Biden, our president, in quotes, Trudeau, and low down in Texas. What have they announced for us? They've gone down there, and they've announced. And 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 I want to be very clear. They've announced a deal whereby manufacturing jobs will now be sent to Mexico, and in return, the United States is offering to open up its borders even more for migrants coming up from Latin America and South America. They're calling it a reduction in illegal immigration by opening up pathways for migration. So basically, what Biden's going to say is that he's reduced illegal immigration because he's going to make it legal. Do you get what's going on here? In addition... Those manufacturing jobs that are going down to Mexico, guess what it is? Semiconductors. So not only is the United States preparing to sell out Taiwan, because that's just obvious, right? That's just absolutely obvious what Biden's plan is here, that they're going to be sold out. Now, those prefab manufacturing facilities, I'd love to see those in Arizona. I'd love to see those in Texas. I'd love to see those anywhere within The United States, because I'm sorry, I didn't realize that we had a president of the hemisphere. I didn't realize that we had a president who's supposed to care so much about the needs of countries that he is not elected to lead. And yet that's what we have here. You have to you have to understand. Every administration. Prior to 2016. Was all on board with this train. America last is what it's called. You, you American people, you don't matter. What matters are the profits and the corporate interests getting rich of the slave labor, whether it be in, uh, in China, in East Asia, whether it be labor in Mexico, where they can make it cheaper. The jobs are sold out the same way that the countries have been sold out. And in addition to this, he sits there and tells you about how his plan for globalism, his plan for open borders, here's how the open border works. It is a two-way street. The jobs go out and the migrants come in. Every administration prior to President Trump was like this. Clinton, Bush, the first Bush, Obama, this was always the plan. America would be weakened from the inside.
0: So with that, you can see where we're, we're going with this. You can see that how we're starting to shed light on this. And, we're, you know, you can see that everyone is coming to an awareness and, and awakening to this process. It's tectonic. And it's been in the works for a very long time so that Joe Biden could step up and say this is his plan. But, of course, we know that we've been talking about the North American Union for for a long time, for, for, for decades. And it's something that people thought was totally fantastic. But in the crisis and the extremity that's created with the tanking of the Federal Reserve note, which is going to go down like the Titanic, you're going to see that everyone is going to be scrambling around. So that's why we, uh, we added here... This interesting final uh, note here. And so we'll add the, the link with Perry Stone, and he does this interesting little seminar there about the North American Union and his perspective on it. And But w- most interesting, he has with him some of the banknotes that were uh, ban- mock-ups then they were examples that were being shown to people in the uh, the banking industry, so that if you want to take a look at what the Amero or this North American Union uh, currency is going to look like when it comes out. Uh, Perry Stone has managed to get himself uh, some of that and you can take a look and it's pretty fascinating so we thank you again for coming back to um, the syllabus journal entry this is the 17th entry and we wanted to make sure that you are well aware of what the plan is for the globalists and what they have in mind so thank you once again